Down Radio is on the air. Welcome everybody to Phoenix Down Radio, episode 137. I am your host, Klaus Nightbringer, and joining me we have Talas and Sarah. We we survived. What's up, dudes? We're here. We're doing we stuff. Did. We're back in game. <laughs> Even though I haven't really played, I think yeah, like all that week. is actually like a thing we haven't done in a while. Yeah, but uh, no, well, no, we we weren't in game last episode because we wanted to try something different. Being well, we didn't need to be in game. Mm-hmm. But now this week we're actually talking about Final Fantasy XIV as our main topic for once. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about a lot of fourteen tonight. By the way, the next two episodes are going to be very fourteen heavy, um, and you'll find out here in a minute. Um, <laughs> but until before we get into that, what have you guys been up to the last two weeks? Yes. Okay, so Sarah has been nope. uh, th- uh, throwing up fish. <laughs> Yeah, God. there was a lot of throwing up fish. A couple times the fish did 20 whole damage. <laughs> and then I learned to make things explode with the power of my mind. And the power also, of, of you exploding. Also a fuck ton of maps. Like, oh my god, my inventory is still so clogged. I, I had 93 again. spaces and now I have five. Dude, that's a lot of crap. Yeah. I mean, yeah. some of it I'm going to be able to process and just sell off, but there's a lot through yeah it, it it takes time to get through some of that stuff hopefully you have some space to sell shit on your retainers a little bit i'm gonna need to do a lot of processing materials wise i mean i guess and psychology wise but <laughs> <laughs> and, mm. anything else in or out of game um I started playing uh, Parkitect with some friends, and apparently I'm now in charge of our fireworks displays. Uh, it's like Roller Coaster Tycoon. It's kind of a spiritual successor to it, and it has a multiplayer mode. Hmm. As Talos pops a ramen. I have to, man. It's time. <laughs> it's time. Uh... Library program started up for uh, spring semester, okay. uh, so back to being busy on that. Uh, Is homework club back? Homework club's back, but in a reduced format. Okay. Uh, we're trying fewer days a week, and we put some more strict restrictions on stuff, just because the trying to be as open as possible to every single thing a student might want ended up eating so much employee hours in terms of the overhead to make that happen. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it's something a little more balanced. Okay. Well, that, that sounds fun. Hopefully yeah. it, uh, it's all remote though, right? It, yeah, it's still all remote. Okay. Uh, we are in a tier where I do go into the uh, library for two hours a week, but it's for something that absolutely cannot be done anywhere else. And they have to have specific stuff to not linger in the building. If you don't absolutely need to be there for job duties. I see. That's well, as, as long yeah, as you're kind of the- getting back into a little bit of a, safe normalcy shall we call it yes 
uh, especially in the last few days, stuff feels a little more normal and there's not the ever-present sense of dread and what the hell is going to happen next at the back of my head. Mm. Like, there's still some curiosity about what will happen next, but not in the and how will I survive it sense. Okay. Well, that's good. How about you, Talis? Uh, I fixed the bunch of stuff on my mom's car for her birthday last week. Hmm. Uh, I have been driving a lot. Uh, we lost and gained a whole bunch of employees, so I'm kind of having to pick up weird stuff here, there, and everywhere. Um, I've been talking with a bunch of people regarding the business I started, including uh, Wander Sabaku, friend of the show, uh, who's helping us out with some legal stuff, which is pretty cool. Uh, thank you again, Sarah, for connecting us so that we could make that magic happen. He's good. People. Uh, mm-hmm. Definitely. We are still we are still sort of working on a final design for T-shirts and lanyards and crap. So that'll be super fun, too. Hmm. Um, as far as in-game, I actually finally started playing again because there was actually stuff to do. Because uh, I basically took most of 2020 off of 14 because there just wasn't anything to do. And now there's stuff to do. And I did it all. And now I'm like, crap, now what am I supposed to do? <laughs> so I'm leveling tanks again because I have time. Well, I mean, that is one thing to do in the game is to get everything up to uh, level cap. Up to so, 80. You know, at least by the time that uh, 6.0 comes out. So. Maybe. Uh, I mean, I haven't gotten any, I didn't get a healer to level cap until like September of last year. So obviously <laughs> it's not a huge priority in my life. Um, yeah, that's fair. but I've gotten a few things up. Uh, I did because I took so much time off. I came back and all of my gear was just a disaster. So <laughs> shout outs to the awesome people who Penta melded freaking everything and slammed it up onto the market board for the same cost as or the same cost as the unmelded HQ oh, gear. Wow. Uh, so I have HQ crafted 510 everything <laughs> with Penta melts. Very cool. Very nice. Two million and a half gil, two million gil somewhere in there later. And I just like, well, I don't need to go to Eden and get MacGuffins. I don't need to do extremes i don't need to do savage i don't need to do the 24 man 300 times in a row but then i just have stuff how will you enjoy tender moments with the lesbians well i mean i i'm good i'm good granted the eden the normal eden stuff is is 510 but the uh the other stuff is 520 is it not like your it is here and uh savage the mm it's the MMO problem, right? Like yeah. you kill the thing to get better things so that you can kill that thing better. And then the next thing comes out and you have to struggle to kill that, to get more things to kill that thing better. Repeat ad nauseum. Since I'm not trying to kill the better thing and the hardest stuff I'm going to do is just a whole lot of dungeons in a row or maps. Five tens fine. That's fair. You're still, uh, 15 eye levels higher than me right now. I'm still actually running this, the same gear that I had at the end of 5.3. Um, I could get a few pieces from uh, Eden Drops, and then I could get buy a couple of pieces of Tombstone gear. I just haven't yet. I'm running... Everything that I'm running, I'm way over geared for still, and it hasn't really caused me any issue with that. Though, to be honest with you... I was... Go ahead. Go ahead. I was capped on Tomes. The expired Tomes. Oh. <laughs> 
so I bought some tome gear, but I didn't get much. Yeah. I was just I was just gonna say I haven't been running too much and I haven't capped on the new tomes since the first week, maybe the second week. But I don't know. Like I said, I, I did the storyline, I did I did finish storyline. I finished uh Sora of Whirlit for this patch. And mm -hmm. um that's really it. It's right now is a time when I'm not really focused on wanting to continuously play Final Fantasy fourteen. I'm kind of wanting to take a break from it so I, hit I am that, and i did it for six months and it you know yeah take a break it's cool it'll still be here exactly it will always almost always still be here it's kind of liberating to not have to worry about oh i didn't cap my tomes this week what am i gonna do ah uh, yeah yeah monday night to... i go what, what am i at am i close to 450 can i finish it in two dungeon runs does an expert roulette gonna give me 90 can i get it and i'm sitting here going or beer. <laughs> the treadmill or, or and have a beer and it's gonna be just fine. Or maybe the I want to play Minecraft instead. It's fine. Which I have been playing some more yep. Minecraft. It's been fun. Um and playing around <sighs> in a single player I... world. I've been playing with mods. <laughs> mods are fun. If you've never played Minecraft and you haven't played with or if you played Minecraft but never played with mods. Oh, they're fun. They make the game real interesting. Um, so I've been doing that. I don't that. doubt it. Um, also found a new skin for my character, so I'm no longer... Uh, well, actually, I found the, the skin quite early on. Uh, no longer the normal Steve skin. I actually found a uh, Major Hughes skin from FMA. Oh, God. <laughs> you gotta do something, right? But I've been streaming a little bit of that about once a week here uh, on twitch.tv slash Radio. So if you like Minecraft and want to see an old guy play an, a, a game, you know, very poorly, come check it out. <laughs> um, I had a roommate that played a lot of Minecraft. I watched them play for about an hour and a half and I was like, have you progressed at all? And they just kind of turned at me and they, you don't really know how this game works, do you? And I was like, yeah. obviously not. I don't know yeah, if this is for me. The fact that you use the word progressed there kind of says everything. <laughs> I don't want to build a thing. I want to play a game. If I wanted to build something, there's a shop outside. <laughs> so I, the comparison I would make is to Legos. Legos are not a game. Lego are a, Legos are a toy with which you can play a variety of games, including any number of things you can make up yourself. They are a thing that enables games, but they are not in and of themselves a game. Well, mine, yeah, nope, nope, definitely not my style then. My, Minecraft does actually have a story now, and there is, an, there is a way to beat the game. You know, sure, but that's something that they added onto like the base structure. Yeah, but I, I think I've defeated Minecraft in the best and most thorough way possible. By not playing the game. Never even installed it on anything I've ever owned. <laughs> hey, hey, I think I can beat you. I got paid to play it. As a former game tester, I nah, got, man. Uh, I nah, got man. paid to play it the way that I felt like playing it. Nah. Library programs. I was setting up some stuff in Minecraft, so I actually got to play Minecraft and mess around with it for the library programs. <laughs> and it was on the top. 
I don't know if it was get paid and play Minecraft or don't get paid and don't play Minecraft. I'm happy being broke. <laughs> Sorry, man. I mean, if you if it was like you play Minecraft in this case, it's defined as faff around and just figure out what you want to do with it and call it good. Like it's still undirected play. It's like playing with Legos. Yeah, but I didn't really like Legos. We need a new co-host. Yeah, sorry, man. No, it's fine. I never got too big into Legos either. Uh, constructs, though, I, I like playing with those. You. Do you ever play with constructs? I don't, even, I don't. I've never heard of them. Anyway, so let's talk about, right sorry, man. <laughs> I didn't have a childhood. Remember? <laughs> so let's talk about some Final Fantasy VII news. Um, apparently, uh, at the end of last year, uh, Square Enix trademarked Ever Crisis, the first soldier, and the Shinra Electric Power Company logo in Japan. And just recently, they, uh, they, they trademarked, uh, Ever Crisis in Canada and the EU. Interesting. I'm a little surprised they hadn't done the Shinra Electric Power Company logo already. Like, that's been around for ages. But maybe they just felt a need to, or maybe they have plans that make it more relevant. Uh, Ever Crisis, I do remember ages ago there was a game called Before Crisis that was like an early mobile phone game. Yep. Um, Ever Crisis sounds very much like it could be related to the mobile game Before Crisis. Which Isn't... I want to say had something to do with the Turks. Yep. Or the Crisis Core game from PSP. Which also had plenty to do with the Turks. Um... And First Soldier uh, probably is referencing Sephiroth. Yeah. Though I did, there's also a possibility of referencing a couple of the others from Crisis Core uh, because of the entire mythology that it adds about like the early members of Soldier. I also saw some speculation that it could be somehow related to Zack. Wasn't there a, a um, Angeal? Or Angeal, yeah. Yeah. Also, tell us. Thank I know that Angel is. <laughs> yeah, right. That pop up has been there for like three months. Oh, uh, fair enough. I only know of Angel because he had a card that wasn't terrible in FFTCG. Uh, yeah, he's involved with a lot of Crisis Core stuff. Uh, a lot of his things involve references to the various seven deadly sins. Although uh, he was a okay. good guy. Oh, okay. Yeah, I have absolutely no idea who he is. So but... it's a weird Crisis Core thing. There's some. Symbolism, oh, okay. whatnots. But still, was Crisis Core was hard. Yeah, it was fun. Anyway. I played for a while, and I never got an HP upgrade in the roulette of stats, and so I just was like, "Well, I have made this game unplayable." So I, friend of mine, told me the story. That was like, "Sweet, now I know the story," and then I immediately forgot all of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's. Like, the fact that they did go ahead and... So it was specifically a trademark, right? Because I know there's a difference between a copyright and a trademark. And yeah, these were trademarks. Yes. Hmm, interesting. But generally, when, when Square Enix trademarks something, um, they're, it generally means that they're going to be uh, releasing a game or something along those lines. Um, yeah. So... Uh, like, this would not be the first time that eagle-eyed uh, fans have paid attention to the filings at the trademark office to get uh, clues as to upcoming properties. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it looks like we might be seeing... A, I mean, we already have the FF7 remake in process, having more spin-off or more related material. Not necessarily even a game, but just like a, a movie or uh, some other side piece. 
Yep. Could be interesting. Maybe we'll go full on Yoko Taro with this and there will be a stage play. We can only hope. I honestly would watch the shit out of that. How about a Broadway musical? Oh, oh, or the Dance Dance Revolution inspired rhythm game. Final Fantasy VII, the rhythm game. Sign you know up. that the cabinet, the cabinet would be decorated up to look like the Honey Bee Inn. It'd be great. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> Sarah, I have a sneaking suspicion. I'm going to be texting you a picture from an Akiba arcade at like three in the morning local time. Just be like, hey, check this out. <laughs> Fuck yes. <laughs> it's going to be exactly that. All right. This is almost as much my jam as quick refrigerator jams. All right, we have a lot more to talk sure. about, so let's go ahead and continue on. Uh, there's a lot of Final Fantasy XIV news that we're going to be talking about today. Um, probably some of the most, the biggest announcement that we've gotten um, is in two weeks, uh, we will have the Final Fantasy XIV announcement showcase. Sweet! Thank God. Uh, and that's gonna, go ahead. No, keep going. I was going to say that's going to start... At uh, 5.30 p.m. Pacific Time or 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time on February 5th. Um, so check out the standard uh, YouTube or uh, Twitch uh, links for uh, Final Fantasy fourteen, as they'll have all Try the information there. Usual time for these things. Let's see. Uh, 5.30 p.m. That makes it... Uh, like 9.30 a.m.? Mm, no, they it's are... It's isn't it? See, I think... Three is eight or something. I don't know. It's 16 or 17 It's going to be pretty early in the morning for them. Balls o'clock. Got it. Um, 5.30 p.m. in Tokyo. Oh, 5.30 p.m. PST in Tokyo. Yes. Yeah. Uh, 10.30 a.m. Oh, okay. Yeah, that sounds right. Okay. That's fine. Yeah, that'd be fine. Um, but that's not the only thing we're going to be getting that day is because uh, right after the announcement showcase, we are also going to get uh, Live Letter 62. And Sweet. That's going to be taking place at 1 a.m. Eastern or 10 p.m. Pacific time. So and that's an announcement showcase of about an hour, hour and a half. No, the announcement mm-hmm. showcase is going to be probably about. Uh, oh no, I'm four I, and a half hours. Oh, I misread times on there. So yeah, several hours. I wouldn't be surprised if they had like at least a short break between. Oh yeah, I would say we probably have a four-hour showcase where we'll we'll probably learn about uh, the new expansion. So we'll get a, a title for that. We'll get maybe some box art. We'll get the trailer. Um, and be, we might get a release they'll date. They'll show us Apothecary. It's totally going to be Apothecary, right? Maybe. I don't know. I'm looking forward to finding out if we get new jobs, which we probably will. Yeah, no, um, like, uh, I'm st- uh, okay, if we're placing bets, new healer, Apothecary. They Come on, they hinted it so hard in 5-3. Uh, new healer. Yeah, I would either say that or chemist, uh, depending on how they want to use the naming. Yeah, that's just a difference in naming. It's the same concept. Well, it's like, uh, was it Flintlock and Rifleman in Tactics and Tactics Advance? Same kind of idea. Um, Effectively the same for our purposes. Exactly. It's one of those things. It's like, are you a white mage? Yes. Do you know this spell? No. What are you talking about? Well, that's from nine and I'm from four. And I also. Same idea. Get the general concept down. And as because we have such strong healers as is adding a fourth healer, we might end up with the tank problem that we had with Dark Knight and Gun uh, Gunbreaker, where 
we didn't end up with more tanks. We ended up with the tanks we had now had more options. So I'm looking forward to getting a new healer and hopefully having more people try out healing because it's getting rough in queue. So I want to see more healers. Hmm. Well, I, they're trying to make sure that they, it, whatever job they do put in, that they feel like a different job, not just like a reskinned uh, same thing. I mean, yeah. We, we don't. Otherwise, they could just call it uh, generic healer four. Yeah, generic yeah. healer four. Because my warrior plays different than my paladin, but my paladin plays pretty much the same as my dark knight. Yeah, like the class fantasy is absolutely important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean. There aren't, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that you can do damage. So, I mean, having d so many different damage dealing classes, it's real easy to create a new one of those. But there's only so many ways you can heal. So. And we can, I mean, we also, it's a fantasy game, right? And like, mm -hmm. when in doubt, throw lore at it. You know, when in doubt, throw flavor at it. And it's like, okay, well, this one is calling from the natural mana of the earth, and this one is calling from the arcana out of your cards, and this one is actually a secondary fairy that only some people are able to get. Okay, at the I mean, end of the day, it's still little yeah. heal, mid heal, big heal, barrier, shieldy thing, get up. Like yep. It's all the same stuff, it's just called something a little different. They do play differently, though. Very much so. Astro plays very differently than Scholar, and which it, that's why it's the oof. last one for me to level, you know, because I'm still trying to get my hands, my head around it. Honestly, old Scholar or old Astro was good, but required a reasonable degree of skill to use correctly and well. Mm -hmm. Kind of the remade one was a lot easier. And then this run where they're just like, there's only three types of cards. Now it's not as interesting, but easy to pick it's up. Fine. A lot easier to pick up, and that's what they were going for. But definitely, you, if you play the level uh, like 35 through 55 uh, class quests, it's not it's not a good time <laughs> because right. you just don't have it. So bets on the second job we get. Um, an, uh, my guess would be another ranged um, physical DPS. We only uh, have we only have three. Already. We only have three. Everything else has like four or five. So we. Got we've got three magic range DPS, three physical range oh. DPS, four melee DPS, uh, mm -hmm. four tanks, and then three healers. So maybe another caster, Geomancer. Well, um, mm, well, wasn't uh, Astro mm. based off of that or something? No. Or which one was based off Geo? Nobody. No, there not was not in this game. What am I thinking then? Uh, you might be thinking of eleven. No. There, there, there. There's references to geomancy in fourteen. Oh, there are. Uh, and I want to say I it's think... related to. Um, wasn't it Astro's? No. no, you're right. It was uh, Astro, and then there was like a little little hint in the machinist uh, storyline as well. Uh, but not as much as the straight up, you are standing on X, therefore when you channel mana, it does this. Yeah. Um, like a traditional geode does. But a geomancer does a different thing in a turn-based Final Fantasy versus something like tactics, mm. where tactics you can move around on water, dirt, grass, tree, whatever. And you then in, like it, the battlefield has entirely different selections of. Yeah, you yeah. run out onto a battlefield, there's four of you on one side of the screen, 
five of them on the other, and you're like, cool, I can cast nothing helpful. I guess I have a sword. <laughs> like, it just kind of sucks sometimes. So in this, that's not really an option. And I don't see them adding a mechanic of where you're standing in the world via coordinates determines your spell. That would just be an absolute hassle in an online style. Yeah, that that would be terrible. I mean, because realistically, they... <sighs> Yeah, that, that just wouldn't work. We'd have to come up with some other way. I mean, we made Blue Mage work. We made Red Mage work. We can make I, Geomancer work, but... The, the other thing would be, uh, if you do add this for, like, the terrain or other stuff affects it, you now need to go back to all of the old content that they could potentially be in and now suss out, okay, do we need to add this quality to all the various terrain? Do we need to now add this new thing? Do we need to redo all the dungeons to account for this? They would have to redo all of the dungeons for sure. That would suck because you hit a leveling roulette with it, which people will, and then all of a sudden you're in Sastasha, and you're well, like, okay, oh god, trials would be a hassle. Um, can you imagine going into Cutter's Cry and just being like, I guess I'm throwing sand at you? Like, what options do you have? I don't know how Geomancer would work. My kind of sidearm pitch for it is honestly just the fact that it's a really fun and unique class, it's weird, the spell list is wild. I would love to see how they do it. Lore-wise, they've already been hinting about Geomancer as like in mm -hmm. a different type of thing, where it's not just the what terrain you're standing on, but invoking these various elemental spirits in a way that's different from Conjurer. Mm -hmm. So, like, they might take it in a different direction because they, if they have the lore-based support for that. We also have Summoner, which we know, you know, you bring out your pet, whatever. There's also two kinds of summoner in the older like end generation games where you have the summoner, which is here is an Ifrit. It stands here. It kills things until Ifrit dies. And then the party runs back in and we keep going. Or there's the and your full screen is covered with Rama destroying everything in sight. And then he goes away and we're all still here. I mean, that second one is pretty much just like a, it's Thunder 3, but we put a different skin on it and made it AOE. Exactly, but it's there's the caller side of summoner where or the summoning side of summoner, and I'd like to see something more caller based. But mm. then again, it feels like the same issue that we had with that SNES generation, where you get fire one two three, fire four with a different name, and fire five, and there's an ifrit on it, and that's not interesting. But I, I'd like to I, see. I want to see. It takes you so far on that. Exactly. I'd like to see something really, really big and dramatic as a caster. I also would be very, very interested in seeing something like the cadets out of Type Zero, where they all have really unique weapons, like the spiral sabers and such, where their combat style is just, I know how to fight with a sword. My sword is unique, though. Really leaning into your equipment determines the type of person that you are, which our armory system has already been doing since 2.0. So I would really like to see something where we get a unique way of playing that doesn't end up showing up like Blue Mage, where, cool, you can throw fish at people and run around on the battlefield, I guess. Also, like, I want to see something unique and huge. Speaking of Blue Mage, what do you think the odds are that we get an announcement of uh, another limited job? Probably not in I the announcement showcase, but possibly in the live letter. They're going to split up the announcements between the two things for sure. Well, the live letter is basically is 5.5 part one. And if I don't, mm. if I remember correctly, did not, didn't Blue Mage come out in a uh, 
and it did. patch. It did. Uh, Master Shake just asked Beastmaster capture yeah. monsters. Yeah, <laughs> that, I'd that, be down. That, that's I actually what uh, rooting for Beastmaster or Puppet Master. Yeah, Beastmaster and Puppet Master have been the two that have been talked about the most for lim for the next limited job, and I think Beastmaster would be the easiest one. It mm -hmm. wouldn't be a capture. You might capture, but uh, it's probably more of the, the the jug pets like they had in eleven. Yeah, catch and release. Uh, but that being said, Beastmaster is the usual weapons that you've seen in the past is either a bell or a whip, which is awesome because nothing else in the game uses that. So we don't end up with the rogue problem that we ended up with in 2.0, where all gladiator weapons for a bit until where all the gladiators logged in and all their daggers were swords all of a sudden. Mm. And it just didn't make any sense because they I had to move daggers somewhere else. They were always holding those daggers weird anyways. I was okay with it. It I mean, made sense. It was just, it was a big undertaking at the time. They could also go with hand axes. That was a big one for uh, 11, yeah. I believe. Yeah. And I think Beastmasters and other ones have also used one-handed axes. Dark Knights have used axes in the past. They also And White Knights have used bows. So, like, yeah. We got it. It's one of those, yes, we can take an inch. But that's a very slippery slope that yeah. we start falling down yeah. very, very quickly. Distinctive weapon, I think, works for it. No, it, mm -hmm. it, it, and it has to be something that, that you do in Final Fantasy XIV, because that's exactly how the armory system works. Where in like Final Fantasy One, you had options for your fighter, uh, sword or axe. The mm -hmm. axe hit harder. The sword had higher accuracy. Accuracy determined the number of hits that you did per round. So if you wanted to hit for five damage once or, you know, seven damage once, well, you want to hit for seven. Well, if I'm hitting for five damage twice or nine damage once, now all of a sudden the sword is better and you had to figure out where those breaking points were in your leveling. Yep. So this is one of those situations where the armory system is a blessing and a curse. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff to look forward to, and we're going to talk all about that in the next episode. <laughs> Woo! All once right. Got some uh, some other interesting little bit of Final Fantasy XIV news that I happened to find. Apparently there's going to be a collaborative manga with uh, the manga Saki. I'm not familiar with it, but uh, it's a uh, high school-based uh, manga. And uh, It's a... Hang on. Let me see if I'm remembering the right one, if this is the same article I saw. Alright, it's titled... Saki is this the Mahjong one? To Final yeah. Fantasy XIV, the manga follows members of Saki's Kiyosumi High School as they play Domen Mahjong within Final Fantasy XIV. Yeah, the, ma the manga itself is already a high yep, school this is about, the playing about playing Mahjong. Alright, mm -hmm. and, and the description uh, of it so reads this like this. Uh, Saki's never been a big fan of Mahjong. A lifetime of being forced to play with family at holidays and losing her money as a consequence has left us foul taste for the game in her mouth. When she's convinced, though, to play a game with her classmates, she discovers that not only has fending off her family left her with an uncanny ability for the game, but more surprisingly, that it can even be fun. So. Is this revelation enough to cleanse Saki's distaste for the game? Can her classmates convince her to join their club? Or is there just too much baggage to make it worth her while? I love this line. If you're Saki. looking for the number one Mahjong manga out there, you found it. Saki, <laughs> Mahjong is fine. Your family's just abusive dicks. 
that too but uh but so yeah it looks like they'll go ahead and start having the ff14 tie-in with the dome in mahjong and the gold saucer that actually sounds kind of cute i'd be okay with it so if you're i actually do remember reading a little bit of this once upon the time yeah i want to go find it myself now so if you're a fan of the that particular manga uh go check it out it i believe the first chapters actually came out recently I think yesterday, actually. Yeah, it was pretty recent. There was also, I think, I want to say there was also an anime for it not uh, a couple years ago. Yeah, for for this particular uh, manga, yes, there there was an anime that came out. There was a movie, I believe. There's been a, a number of things. It's been around since 2005, I believe the article said. 2005, so. 2006, something like that. But this is also falling in that same genre as the uh, Fantasy Star Online 2 anime series, which was based on the student council meetings which took place with them all meeting and logging into the game and then playing PSO2 while discussing school life related activities hmm. and then they would cut back to not playing the game and they would be discussing in the school things that they were doing in game <laughs> it was a very dumb show but it's a thought that they did. Um, so this is kind of in the same vein of like, we're going to talk about a video game inside of a manga. But it should be fun because they're doing a side project and they're not trying to actually expose the narrative. They're just saying, hey, here's a fun side story collab thing that we're doing. Mm. I don't see the next Garo series talking about PvP in 14. <laughs> Maybe. You never know. All right, and then in some Final Fantasy adjacent news, uh, the Final Fantasy creator Hironobu Sakaguchi is going to be releasing a new RPG later this year. Um, in an article we found from Kotaku, come on, paste. There we go. Uh, his studio, Mistwalker, has been working on this new project called Fantasian for the past three years. Um, it features hand-built dioramas that have been photographed and then scanned into 3D environments within this game. And uh, Nobuo Uematsu is going to be doing the score. Again, this is sounding a lot like the, uh, the project they did years ago called Blue Dragon, where it was Takaguchi, Akira Toriyama did the art, Uematsu did music, and it was like, cool, it's this all-star cast of production. Blue Dragon got a sequel and it did get an anime series so it did reasonably well in japan it didn't do super well over here uh so i'm not sure if we're just leaning on the fact that we know sakaguchi is amazing final fantasy 6 is an incredible title but he's been running mistwalker for years they've released a handful of games most of them were pretty good double a AA and triple a titles so i'm excited to see what they're going for because sakaguchi's definitely has that old Square Enix mentality of we're going to do a unique and different thing because nobody else will. And if it fails, that's fine. We can still keep going. And if it's wildly successful, then we end up with spinoffs and MMOs and anime series for years to come. Like, I just, the, uh, the pictures they've shown of the dioramas, they just have this really unique style to them. They do. Uh, it's just so different from anything I've seen that I'm really intrigued by it. Yeah. Uh, does anybody get like a weird Wes Anderson feeling out of this Happy New Year image? 
No. It's all but... one sepia tone. It's all unique styles of construction. It looks like a screenshot of an alternate version of Grand Budapest. <laughs> to me. Maybe. But then this game is slated to release in Apple Arcade. So huh. if you've got Apple Arcade, give it a try. If it's successful enough, they might port it to uh, other platforms. Hopefully so. That would be nice. Because I don't have an iPhone anymore. <laughs> I'd like to play it. I've never had an iPhone. I've got one. Uh, I guess I will be first reporting or something. <laughs> All right, Sarah. Appreciate so it. You. <laughs> Help us, Sarah. You're our only hope. Well, you're screwed. <laughs> At least we're not going after the Death Star. Yet. All right. So let's go ahead and jump into this extremely long discussion topic we've got going today. Um, we're going to be talking about the storyline from Final Fantasy XIV patch 5.4. Um, we're going to start with the main scenario, and then we're going to see if we have time to jump into um, Eden and uh, the Sorrow of Whirlet. So... Yeah, this wasn't just before it gets started. I want to say, like, this one was interesting in a lot of ways. There were a lot of loose ends being either tied up or just addressed and integrated into things. At the same time, there wasn't specifically a lot that kind of happened. Like, there were things that happened, but in terms of like major moving the stuff forward, this one felt a lot more like table setting. Mm -hmm. Uh, we got the because the next one's going to be the 5.5 five patch. That's probably going to be the last big one before 6.0. Uh, uh, not quite. We do have a 4.5 edition that's going to be coming. And then we do have the 5. Point, or the 5.5 and then 5.55. So Right, but in terms of MSQ. Yeah. There will probably be some, some new storyline in, in the, in the .45 patch. Not a ton. In the midst? There, there, there has been. I'll, yeah, I'll need. I'm gonna go ahead and check the previous ones. You may be right on that. I am no longer sure it's been long enough. I know the I, five five is a lot of times. There's an addition to it. Yeah, but like uh, with uh, Stormblood, when we were coming into Shadowbringers, you had the Scions starting to uh, fall into their strange comas, mm -hmm. uh, things like that. In uh, three five, I think it was you had. What was it? we had uh, Omega and Shinryu? We had Balesar's Wall with the uh, provoking of our conflict uh, with the Empire at Alamigo. Mm -hmm. Like those are the ones where it's like, okay, this is the spark of the thing that's going to take us into that. The patch before was kind of a, hey, we're setting up the pieces. We're not having that being have, but we're putting the stuff into place so it can start happening. Yeah, and that I kind think... of feels a little like what was going on in this patch. Two five was Which what? Was Crystal Braves. Patch. Crystal Braves. Two, two, yeah. four. I mean, okay. two, four, two four was, two, four Crystal, was Braves, Crystal Braves, and then two five was two, the, five. The, the poisoning. Right, the and Crystal it, Braves coming to fruition, such yep. as it is. So. so yeah, this one felt the same in that it's not the big event that's uh, the catalyst that's going to take us into 6.0. It's kind of the table setting, getting the pieces in place so that they can go through that little kind of prologue overture. Which, again, like, there was still a lot of stuff that I appreciated and things that were like, oh, hey, I'm really happy about that. But it didn't quite have a lot of the big momentous things. And that's kind of okay. You need those table settings episodes to actually get your pieces set up. Mm -hmm. You've got your bottle episodes or your bridge episodes. That's fine. This was just one uh, more of that kind of thing. I mean, it, it, it wasn't filler. There was a lot of good stuff that happened. No. No. 
Yeah, a bottle episode or a bridge episode is not filler. It's just maybe less dynamic, less of the, hey, here is the huge earth-shaking thing. Though we did have uh, big changes uh, in the setting that we'll get into as we go on. Yep. So... But I mostly wanted to set that as like kind of the expectations in preface. This one was mostly a table setting patch in terms of the story. Yep. So it, it begins as they all do at the Rising Stones. And uh, the, the, uh, the Scions have been uh, settling back into their normal bodies, which is good. Um, and they're uh, ready to discuss uh, what's going to happen moving forward. Um, midway we through... We had an entire campaign against Garlemald that kind of got put on hold while we had to go save the first. Yep. I mean, but in, and there were people that were continuing to monitor it, but uh, you know, now they're going to be able to see what they can add, you know, to the, uh, to the table and, uh, hopefully continue to push on. Um, Lise joins us, uh, halfway through and, uh, she's very happy to see everybody. And, uh, but, uh, she reports that, uh, um, uh, talks about the civil war breaking out in the empire, you know, you know, all that lovely, uh, um, everybody's fighting over the, uh, the throne that's basically, uh, open for, uh, whoever to, to take at this point and uh civil war yep and we've been invited to uh talk with the alliance uh in alamigo um the others go but uh we go with uh grahatia and alice um to continue looking into this cure for tempering it's really sweet that she never forgot about gabu during that entire time well I, they were setting up for this because she yeah. realized that you know what they've done to get themselves back to the um the source may have a lot to do with being able to figure out how to take care of this uh this tempering that's been happening for years like it's been a part of our setting for so long ever since the beast tribes mm -hmm. uh, learned about summoning we had that ever present threat of tempering exactly well, for everybody except those with the Echo. Yeah, so um, effectively everyone. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we go and uh, decide to, to go take a trip to Azizla. A place where we haven't been in a very long time. Very true. And, then, and Karahati has never been to. One of the things I do appreciate about FF14 is... Uh, just how much it's willing to involve the locations, not just like a quick dip back, but hey, like, yes, we went to this new location, we've got the set of new zones, but there's still part of this inter whole attracting story, and we're not going to say, oh, that was last expansion, we don't go there anymore. <laughs> yeah. They're still, like, really front and center in the story. Of yeah, because... Yeah, you, you need to make sure that you continuously utilize the, the assets and resources you have in, the, in these types of games. Because if you're wanting to continue to bring people within the game and, and keep it moving, um, you're going to need to be able to go back to some of those old lo locations and make them relevant. And it just kind of feels more like an actual world mm -hmm. if it's not a, a it, instead of just like a, okay, here's a discrete chunk, here's another discrete chunk, this is the new chunk, and we're kind of ignoring those. And instead, it's more like, okay, here's an actual world with all the stuff going back and forth. Like, it's all in, well integrated. I think the best part about this introductory quest to the, to the storyline was the fact that uh, Tataru gets to take us on her pink airship. <laughs> Oh. That she built herself. Yep. 
the, the woman after my own heart. Do you know how much time I have spent in my company workshop? I have assembled multiple submersibles solo. Thank you. Oh, buddy, that's <sighs> hey, hey. There's so many other things to do in this game. We're, we're adjusting my medication. It's fine. But yes, so we, we go for a flight on the Bonanza. Great name for it, by the way. Oh, Tataru, always looking for that big score. Yep. So we make it to Asis La, and uh, we head to the information terminal that can hopefully help us unlock the secrets behind primal tempering. Um, uh, yeah, it turns out that Grahatia's time as a crystal exarch uh, connected into the Crystal Tower with all the knowledge of uh, Ancient Allag means that he has a practically encyclopedic knowledge of odd little tidbits of Ancient Allag knowledge. Like, so th the entire reason we're even there was because of this memory of, oh, hey, there was some research relating to tampering that they did. Let's go pull that up. Yeah, and uh, they, they find that there was a report called, uh, uh, where is Iconic Corruption, but the data has been deleted from the system. But it was written by a researcher named Owen, and he used to live in the Habisphere over in the Beta Quadrant. So let's go check it out. Another Final Fantasy three deep cut there. Uh, one of the locations in that game being the Tower of Owen. <laughs> so we make our way over, and uh, it's been in lockdown since... Uh, basically since the uh, end of the Allag Empire. And, 5,000 uh, years. And the nodes that are out there are basically for uh, keeping us from entering the Habisphere. But uh, again, Grahatia's uh, encyclopedic knowledge comes in handy. Um, remember uh, reading something about uh, the fact that so much concentrated uh, uh, lightning uh, ether building up in the area would cause issues with the different nodes and cause power outages. So... Uh, he formulates an idea to go find a uh, a lightning crystal with a lot of uh, ether built into it and use that to short the system and cause a reboot. There's a really sweet uh, moment there while you've all gone off searching for the lightning ether where he meets up with you and talks a little bit more about... We've always interacted with him as a crystal exarch, not as much as uh, Grahatia, mm -hmm. and getting to talk a little bit about his anticipation of getting to adventure with this person he's always respected. Uh, it takes a little moment aside for that, uh, makes some callbacks to that first meeting we had back in the Crystal Tower raid days. It was yep. a really nice moment. Yeah, it was... It was kind of cute. It was a little awkward to me, but uh, then again, Grahatia is kind of awkward. awkward. <laughs> Everything about that adorable cat boy is awkward as shit. And that's oh why most God, people love I him, I guess. Me, like, looking down and his ears like flying. It's like, oh, it's so cute. Um, and then there, there, uh, so we short circuit the system, get it to reboot, and uh, Grahatia is able to go in there and retrieve the node from Owen's room. Um, it's password protected. And uh, there's an interesting little uh, um, interlude where they try to uh, figure out what the password is. And uh, LSA tries, you know, well, why don't you just use the password password? And then the node I mean, kind of gives her the whole... The, not, the amount of times I have seen people who should know better using something like that as their password, I seriously expected that was about to work. And I thought it was going to be a subtle snipe at people who've had to deal with that. But And then it escalated. <laughs> I thought that their response to that, as an IT person, was spot on. 
Know oh your God. place, <laughs> handmaiden. How many times have you wanted to say something like that to a... Oh my God. It was beautiful. <laughs> I loved it. Like I said, as an IT guy, thank you, SE. I'm not going to lie. I was half sure that Alice was about to start blasting that thing. Yeah, but in, uh, we, we kept it from blasting it, and we brought it back to the stones. Um, the, uh, what we had happen after that was quite interesting. They end up deciding to utilize um, Magitech to basically hack the Gibson. <laughs> and Sid brings in just a, an absolute shit ton of, uh, of, of Magitech computers and uh, other hardware to try and uh, brute force into the uh, this this node and yeah, uh, like supercomputer right there mm-hmm. and they almost blew everything up I mean they were using ice crystals to try and uh, you know keep it cool you know they, they didn't have uh, uh, um, liquid nitrogen so you know you gotta do something to super cool what was that what was that Hosoda movie Summer Wars where they put the computers in one of the rooms of the house and then just put ice blocks around it with fans same idea. Yeah. Same idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, it, it's kind of a nod to, you know, the, using, you know, cryogenic cooling in a lot of the supercomputers mm-hmm. that we have now. So to get superconducting things to work. But um, the password, I believe, ended up being freedom. Yes. Which also ended up being another deep cut reference type thing. So that was a nice touch. Mm-hmm. So we were able to find um, Owen's uh, art, uh, his his research paper uh talks about you know everything that they had learned um regarding iconic corruption um how it um the influence of the uh each of the different icons would uh cause not only um changes in their attitudes but with given enough um exposure to their uh ether it would actually cause physical changes and we yeah. actually seen some amount of this before. You might remember uh, the poor captain in Sastasha Hart who has been mutated by repeated exposure to Leviathan's ether. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, the, he believed that uh, they could reverse the, uh, the, the, the damage to the, uh, the, their, their mind, but he knew that there was no way to reverse the, the physical changes that had taken place. But yeah. uh, Zande did not want to have anything to do with that, so his... Uh, um, I mean, if all... you can undo tempering, that removes a lot of the reason for the continued war against the summoning tri- uh, tribes of the world. Yep. But uh, he didn't want to go b- about that, and his funding was pulled, actually. So that was kind of a, a sad thing that uh, we were so close, but he, I believe they were actually able to figure out what he wanted to use to try and make this work, and uh, Grahatia was able to figure out the magic involved. Uh, so, because they've used the, uh, the supercomputing array to get the password, and it's at this point that they say, okay, now we want to actually work out the magic, for which they run into it again, and this ended up being an even more complex problem. This is, uh, that was, there were actually a couple uses of the uh, Ironworks computing apparatus, but this was the one that was the full-on massive solving, kind of the equivalent, oh, yes, you know, right. SETI at home thing where you can like download and it does like the sky scanning or that folding at home with the protein analysis stuff. Yep. Mm-hmm. Pretty much that to try to work out this insanely complex magic spell. 
Yep, that's right. That's what it was. Um, they, they yeah. were able to find the password relatively easily, but yeah, it's, it was trying to figure out the magics that took for took a long time, and they brought it to the brink of uh, of everything just melting down, and uh, they ended up uh, everything ended up shutting down, but not before they were able to figure it out. Uh, side note on that: a lot of that computer apparatus, not just shut down, but it seems full on like fried out. A lot of that was the same apparatus that in another history, would have been used to work out the calculations uh, to allow the Crystal Tower to uh, make its sojourn across the rift. Mm -hmm. So they did go ahead and seal off that option, uh, take out the equipment that we need in order to take care of that particular hanging plot thread. We don't have to worry about, oh, why couldn't they just work this out and then do this again? So nice little sealing off of a potential plot uh, thread there. You in the always process. remake those, though. Yeah, but, <laughs> like, given how much of that was, like, that's not going to be cheap. That's not going to take time. Maybe it could get remade, but unlikely in our lifetime. No, yeah, no, you're right, but it is I mean, if is. you say, hey, the future you use these computers for this, why don't you do that now? Then they could have jump-started the process. Mm. Okay. So, Taking out that entire, oh, hey, here's this time-traveling, space-traveling crystal tower thing, probably kind of important plot-wise. Otherwise, who knows when that would have come back to haunt us. Yep. Now, once we have gotten the the magic for uh, the, for curing tempering, that, that's only part of, of, of the solution. Um, the other part is we actually need to make sure to... Uh, how did that work? There was two parts involved with this. One of them is, is the magic, and the other one has to do with the familiars. Uh, kind, so uh, you there's a kind of a dual problem going on. And of course, a lot of this is just plot justification for why they need to do the next things. But the idea that you've got this aspect of the ether pushing that direction, but then you also have like kind of the mindset, the memories, all the things of which, and without without uh Healing one without the other doesn't actually cure the tempering because the other one just kind of like each one supports the other. So if you just cure one, the other kind of brings it back. You need to somehow address both problems simultaneously. The uh, incorrectly aspected ether and the uh, kind of memories and mindset and mental constructs that are driving them this way. So there's kind of two different things, as I said, each one reinforcing the other. And one of the things that has gotten in the way of that uh, solving it has been that you have these two things supporting each other and needing to address both simultaneously. Yep, and I believe what they just, they end up doing is they put that uh, both of those pieces together in a porksy familiar. <laughs> so, so they go to visit Gabu and uh, see if they can make this work. Um, now, if, uh, uh, Grahatia had still been at the, uh, the Crystal Tower back on the first, he could have drawn Aether from, from that to do this. However, he had to lean on, um, Alphano and Ishtola to help with, uh, enough Aether to, uh, imbue the Porxy with the magic, and then, um, Alice had already imbued it with the other half. And then they took that, and uh, after some time, they were able to successfully uh, bring Gabu back, which was very nice. And there was a couple of really good scenes of the three of them all channeling and doing the like spirit bomb channel type thing <laughs> going on. Yeah, I, the idea that 
and again, establishing that this is not a simple process. This is something that requires a huge amount of power. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you need to have is the, why can you not just like, okay, pop the next, pop the next, pop the next. This is something that's still a lot of work. You're doing this massive scale readjustment to a person's ether, both in terms of its uh, elemental alignment and in terms of a lot of these aspects of their memory and personality. And and the fact that they ended up using Gabu for this... Um... His tempering was, for the most part, on the weaker side. Um, he wasn't becoming, he wasn't fanatical about Titan. He just, his personality traits were kind of pushed dormant. He was just like kind of catatonic. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it, it, the influence was still there. Um, it was keeping him from being himself. So, um, but... The fact that they were able to do this proved that the the theory um, that was uh, initially started by Owen and then confirmed uh, through um, Magitek and uh, Gratia believing in it enough shows that we were able to get it taken care of. So now we need to figure out a more efficient way to uh, create these little uh, um, healing porksies, so to speak. Because it's very inefficient to uh, channel in individually each time uh, when there's especially so many. Ha- Go ahead. Especially with how exhausted everybody was after trying to channel just the, the one that we did. Yep. So we decide so- we need to uh, come up with a, a better way to uh, imbue these porksies with the magic. And uh, who's better at uh, familiars than Master Matoya? Sweep, sweep, sweep. Yeah, <laughs> I love Matoya. She's an absolutely awful individual, and I love her so much. <laughs> I mean, that snark, that beautiful snark. And she puts up with none of her former students' bullshit at all. <laughs> and it's magical. <laughs> uh, so we go talk with uh, Matoya, and uh, we get a nice little snarky uh, exchange between... Matoya and uh, Ishtola, especially when uh, uh, Alphano decides to spill the beans about uh, using her name. <laughs> oh my god! And everybody but him was like about ready to just like, dude, are you for real right now? And Ishtola's like, shit, I wasn't gonna tell her. And he's like, what I do? What I do? And you can tell that Everybody wants to just smack him in the head as hard as humanly possible. <laughs> Don't use someone else's name when you're on an alternate isekai world, by the way. It doesn't go well. well. And the assumption that, oh, Matoya will definitely see that as like a compliment and a mark of respect and not be at all worried about her friend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or not even necessarily care that much, but just not unable to resist the chance to take Yishtola to task for literally anything. Yeah. All right. So we then unlock the new dungeon for the the expand the patch, and I love it. It's I, so good. I absolutely <laughs> love it. It's one of my favorite dungeons. The Same. music is just so on point. The the, uh, the the version of Matoya's cave theme that we get in there is just 
so lovely the remix yeah and then it loops and it has all of the chord progressions through it but it doesn't necessarily just like oh we're just listening to a remix of an nes track no we're not we're going through and we're hearing hey this is matoya's theme but we've already done the anti-tower we've already been in her cave we've mm-hmm. already heard this theme in a couple different spots this is a new way of utilizing it showing we're not in this dungeon to it's not Belsar's wall, right? It's not the hero's gauntlet. We're not trying to get to the end with a purpose. This isn't Cutter's Cry or any of the early dungeons where we're there sort of as a we don't quite trust you yet level of quest. This is a storytelling dungeon. And it's we have to do a thing. And in order to do that thing, we have to go through this dungeon and we're do a whole bunch of pieces together. inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We get to go have a party together and we get to talk to the frogs and we get to turn on all these aspected crystals. And by the way, you're going to get lava thrown at you. Good luck. It's like the equivalent of a sip and paint. I hate so much how accurate that is. (laughs) Also, I need to throw in about the music. Someone made the comparison and I can't unhear it now. It is Matoya's cave if it were a Banjo-Kazooie level. Hmm. You know, Sarah, I, I'm, I'm a little bit upset with you. Just a little bit. Uh, uncomfortable truths. That's what I deal in. I need the uh, the Kazooie sound effect at the end of every time we go through a portal to finish one of the, the pieces. But uh, Aurori says, love it. I also had somebody in a run like two days ago that before we got to the final piece where we got the cauldron activated, they just hit return and bounced all the way to the front. <laughs> Didn't walk up with us. So, like, we all, the three of us did the rest of them, and they were already waiting at the final boss line. Yeah, that's actually become the new, the new thing. It saves, like, 20 seconds. It, it does, but it's, if you don't know why people are doing it, and you're the one that doesn't, it's not great. <laughs> Thankfully, it was only that one guy that yeah. did it, so the other three of us just ran through normally. Yeah, I mean, it's nice that it continues on. Uh, I mean, there's nothing that you really need to do at the end except go through the portal. So, no. and you just have to go past that one threshold so that the flag hits and it activates. And after exactly. that, yeah, you're good to go. Exactly. Um, but yeah, the, the, uh, uh, also. There, there was one tiny little touch that I just really loved. I don't know if there's a good way for you to uh, put a picture or a screenshot on the stream just for a moment. Well, unless uh, I, I have it. I'm going to go ahead and throw it in the host channel. Mm. Anyway. Yeah, we'll skip Let's that for now, it. but it's cute. <coughs> you can copy paste it into the, uh, the, the Twitch chat if you want. Sure. So yeah, like there, were, like this is clearly a place used by uh, Matoya, and of course that means it's also going to be used uh, by her students. Students, and so there was one tiny little touch that I just really love. I'll go ahead and throw the link into the Twitch chat for you all. Just a, there we go. <laughs> it is cute. I will say it's that. A, so much longer than it needed to, um, but yes, it's. It's a very well-made dungeon. I'm sad. I'm still sad that we're only at one per patch now, mm-hmm. but I'm also glad that the ones that we're getting is stuff like this, where they are fun and unique and interesting and well-built, as opposed to three versions of mini-boss, mini-boss, boss, 
five mobs between each one, run until you hit a wall. Because that gets old after about five. Yeah, and I, we have like thirty of those. I think the <laughs> bosses were or the the, the sub bosses were well done, um, especially like the little uh, the Nixie, the second uh, mini boss. Oh, it took me a, no a frustrating long time to figure out the mechanic for the DPS check bit of like actually getting tossed up onto the cloud. Oh, that took me just one try, fortunately. But uh, um, yeah, it was a little embarrassing. The, honestly. the mud man one took me a couple of tries to, to get the the mud balls to to go through properly when they spawned it when mudmen spawned in there i thought you had to hit them with the ball to knock them out nope. uh, oh <laughs> yeah that's bad bro that one was first try for me so i do kind of appreciate that both of us struggled but with different bits mm -hmm. and and then the uh the mother porksy fight was also very good that oh one was really good just because you had to move around a lot because you had to pay attention because if you screwed up there was ways to get out of it. You could make a couple of mistakes in the fight. Like the suction thing is the thing I'm thinking of the most, where you're trying to dodge all the AoEs that are showing up randomly. Yeah. You can but like there's enough. Go you ahead. can mess up a handful of times, and it's not that bad. Don't get hit, but you can slide forward to get rid if you're, if you're in too many AoEs at once. You can move forward closer, but then you can't run back towards the wall yep. you have a certain horizontal motion that you can do it's mm -hmm. fun it had a like a certain whimsicality to it which we saw that we talked about that for the rest of the dungeon but i was really happy that that last one just felt like whimsical and chaotic and everyone's just kind of throwing it together and has it is it in the kiln long enough have we got it working oh god what's happening now like it like those other dungeons that we mentioned, those big story ones, it was this big tool just we're fighting for our lives. We're fighting to get to prevent this terrible thing from happening. And this is just like, oh God, we've set a fire in the workshop. What are we doing now? But we also get to take we're taking something serious, right? We're taking the wait, I've recognized that armor. Why is she here? I thought we killed her and then we just move on like nothing happened. We take these big, super huge, dense pieces of storyline and narrative and fighting, and we're taking that mechanic at its core level, taking it out and saying, let's do a dumb, stupid thing with a flying pig. <laughs> and it's so much fun to not go into a dungeon. Yeah, sure. You can wipe, you can mess up, you can kill your tank, whatever. There's, It's still a dungeon. It's still a video game. But there is a certain... Again, whimsy and whimsicality of just who cares? We're doing a dumb thing today and it's fine. It's a dungeon. We're going to be out of here in 22 minutes. We're going to get a bunch of gear we're never going to use and it'll yep. be fun. Let's do it. it it's, it's a good time. Uh, once we beat the, uh, the mother Porksy and uh, basically we beat her into submission, so to speak. Um, Alice is able to uh, imp imbue her magics to it and Grahati is able to put the uh, anti-tempering magic uh, in it so that way um, we just need to uh, create uh, it will now create more minions more familiars that yeah, are that ready to go we just need to imbue yeah. them with additional ether to do their job that was kind of one of the big things like okay we've got this great meth I mean, to rip from the headlines, it's really great that you discovered the vaccine for this horrible disease. Now, how do you make enough for everyone? Yep, you can't have Alice and Grahatia running around with one porksy to cover the entire realm's tempering needs. 
and and doing the imbuing every single time they need to. Whereas this this way, they're already primed. They just need the fuel, the the energy to yep. be able to do the uh, the untempering. Yeah, and it, it's uh, it's great. We get three new porksies and uh, to start with supply lines, bitches, logistics. Yep. Uh, so we take our good news uh, back to Limsa, and we get an audience with uh, the Admiral, and uh, she's just ex- oh yes, this is fun ecstatic that uh, we've been able to t- take care of this. Um, but uh, and she w- wants to now make sure that they can restore peaceful negotiations with the Beastmen. Um, however, a number of the other pirate captains are not in agreement. Namely, um, the bloody executioners and their new leader, Sicard. A temporary interim leader. Yeah. I mean, he's got signs on it. Mm-hmm. Well, he, he, was, he was always the, uh, the captain's right-hand man, but uh, since the captain took ill, somebody had to take over the reins. Yeah. And it's hard not to, like, to have sat in that position for so long, to be the one in charge, and not to start bringing a little bit of your own agenda to the table. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the the executioners have been making Gil hand over fist, yet none of the other uh, uh, captains really know how. Um, yeah, I mean the uh, after the uh, was it the Galadian Accord? I think mm-hmm. the main way that the various uh, pirate crews uh, made their uh, living was to become privateers, only attacking Garlean ships. Yep, with exactly. The, and with the ongoing civil war, there's a lot fewer of those out on the water. Things are kind of concentrated a bit closer to home, so everyone else has been having to tighten their belt, start expanding into other things with the executioners. They're still making the privateering business work. Or are they? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we go talk with the other pirate captains, you know, Carvalane and... Uh, um... Uh, the, the lady from the, uh, the Rosslyn. Sanguine Sirens. Rosslyn. There you go. Um, God, she's so thirsty for him. And he's, he, he's so oblivious. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's it's unclear whether oblivious or just being like, you know what, if she can't come out and say it, I'm not going to make it easy for her. Mm-hmm. No, it's oblivious. Yeah, probably. It's oblivious. Um, it feels like it dances on that line. The uh, the Sanguine Sirens have been fending off Beastman attacks uh, to the uh, um, uh, on on the, the ships bringing in produce, so they get uh, first pick of stuff on that. So that's been keeping them happy. Um, the uh, Carvalane's group has no idea why the executions are doing so well, but um, Alphanol, they've been working in the spice trade anyway, so they've got their support there. That yep, was not as lucrative. Yep, they're doing what they need to do, um, but. Alphano noticed something very interesting. At the same time that uh, um, they started making all the money, the, the, the executioners, the crystal prices in Limsa plummeted. So, I'm a little bit curious. There's no clear reason that those should be connected. So he's been... Uh, um, he, he had Hori Boulder go out and... Uh, Take a, take a look at the different beast tribes to see what's going on there. And even though um, the uh, everything, what's the word I want here? So uh, Limsa Lominsa did have, like, the kind of formal government of Limsa Lominsa had a very clear treaty with uh, the 
Cole Bolton with the Sahagans about like non-aggression, respecting space, all of that. Yeah, that didn't last very long, unfortunately. So tensions have been rising. That's what I was looking for. The tensions have been rising between the Beastmen, but even so, there have been no primal summonings. What do they need for primal summonings? Crystals. A shit ton of crystals. So if they don't have the crystals, have they been stolen from, you know, are they been stealing crystals from the Beastmen? Yeah. So... We go, we go, and uh, Alphino sets up a meeting with one of the, uh, um, with the vendor to uh, try and, you know, figure out where these crystals are coming from. Um, Gratia brings up a great point. He's recognizable. Gratia <sighs> is not recognizable and insists that he take over. And uh, he almost blows it because he's just so damn awkward. <laughs> Oh, but he's trying so hard. He's a he is freshman speech class day one levels mm -hmm. of awkward, and it's super bad. If it wasn't for that staff on his back but with a giant crystal, it would have all fallen apart. <laughs> so thank you, Tataru, for making that staff. Oh, God. So again, Tataru is saving our butts. Mm -hmm. So, uh, the the new story is Grahati is a weaponsmith that uh, um that uh, focuses on crystal weapons and needs a lot of crystals for a giant order that he's been uh, given, and he's willing to pay whatever price as long as the quality's good. So, uh, takes him to the caves north of uh, um of Limsa, and uh, we follows behind. We think we're we're being sneaky and. Uh, yeah, they basically all but say they've been stealing these crystals from the kobolds. Um, and just as we are, you know, hear that saying, we are basically... We're not the only ones being sneaky. Um, Sicard sneaks up behind us and says, Hey, what are you doing here? Gigs up. And, we're not uh, that good at being subtle. Well, Alphino's not that good at being subtle. and uh, Not like Romati is much better. No, but uh, basically, you know, the jig is up. Um, he, rec you know, Sakar recognizes us and Alphino immediately and is like, you know, what are you doing here? Like, well, we just want to know why you don't, you're, um, how you're getting all your money. We figured it out now, and this is why you don't support the peace talks. So basically, you know, we, we just basically end up then trying to set up a meeting between Sakard and the the Admiral Railweb. so they can just talk it out. See if they can come to some sort of compromise or agreement. And he's like, oh yeah, we'll we'll do that. We'll even provide the place. You know, just come join us on the Astalicia. And uh you know, the Admiral's fine with that. So we take that news back and the Admiral's like, yeah, I'll be there. So we go to their boat and basically it all comes down to they're scared. They don't want, they don't, they, pirating is all they know and they don't want to change. They're making money and that's what they want. They just want to keep making money. What are we if we aren't pirates? I mean, you can imagine like this. 
God, there are so many parallels to a lot of real world issues in this one. Like that just kept leaping out at me. The idea of you have this community that knows this old way of life, that knows this old industry that is in its own way dying. Uh, but they, the idea of like retraining, changing to this entire thing, it feels out of reach. It feels impossible. And so instead going, uh, looking to preserve that way of life at all costs, even if it starts having this negative impact on other communities. Uh, side note, we've already explored a little bit the idea of like, okay, what does the moniker Beast Tribe even mean? Uh, we've done that a bit with the Beast Tribe quest, especially on the first one we start seeing even the Lalafells are a Beast Tribe there. Oh, time to so recognize that. So this seemed like a kind of natural extension of exploring that idea. What exactly is the meaningful difference? Is there a meaningful difference in what we call a beast tribe? And they didn't justify this treatment, this pretty much coming in, stealing all this stuff by saying, oh, well, it's like, they're not people. It's a beast tribe. It's fine if we take their stuff. No one cares. And I mean, to a certain degree, no one did. The beast tribes weren't going to go to Limsalimens and say, hey, some of your people are stealing this. Nope, they're just going to fight back. Yeah, because yeah, what are they gonna? What are they, we gonna do? The kobolds come in and say, "Hey, people are stealing our whatevers," and you'd be like, "Okay, we gave you a section to blow up a bunch of stuff because that's all you guys want to do. You are the six hundred and eighty seventh legion or whatever. Like, you're not super helpful. Why do we care about you?" And then they're like, "But if you don't care about us, then why did you?" give us an opportunity to try to change? Why did you give us land to play on? Why did you say, this area can be for the Sahagan, it's okay? Why did we do that if we actively didn't care? Do you, uh, do you even believe that? It starts spiraling that? out of control very quickly. Do you even believe yeah. that this is a separate thing, or that's like, okay, they probably know about it, and they don't care because we know what they think of us? Well, it, and you have to <laughs> prove that we don't feel that way, and how do you, how do, you do that? Yeah, that's not like an easy been, answer. We've been setting up the pieces for a lot of these questions, and so seeing it brought clearly to the fore uh, and examined in this really direct way, especially because, again, you can get a lot of fun parallels to real-world issues on that, was a really interesting and, I felt like, satisfying... Ex like, that's one of the things I love so much about the story, taking it and turning it into this really thoughtful thing. Yeah. I really liked how Merlewib said that, you know, piracy is how we survived getting here. But since we have been helping our neighbors and doing uh, trade and uh, commerce, we've been more successful and more profitable and more, you know, we've been doing better with that than we ever did with piracy. And she and the others are ready to move on. But these guys just, since they found an easy buck, they just want to keep doing that. And they're also scared. Yeah. And why shouldn't they be? We know swords. We know fighting. We know theft. What do you mean I have to learn commerce? We fear change. Yeah, they fear change. And that's I, uh, what which comes is out not an unreasonable thing. It's not an unreasonable thing to fear. No. It's not at all. It becomes crippling, but it, in and of itself, that's not unreasonable. But nope. basically, um, it, it all comes down to um, he challenges Merrill to a duel. And she accepts. And it basically, Merlob doesn't want to kill him. The, the, their first shots end up uh, careening and hitting each other, and then they go off. And the kid misses his second shot. 
And Merylweb shoots him in the leg. It's like, okay, you're done. And he's like, no. You're gonna- if you're gonna do this right, you're gonna- you're gonna do it right. You are going to finish this, or... And then another shot rings off. His gun flies out of his hand. And we see a giant Rogadin walk up. <laughs> and this Rogadin happens to be, uh, the, the captain. This- this is Captain, uh, what's his name? Uh, Hilfir. Uh, the actual captain of the Bloody Executioners. And he's like, you guys are young, you are smart, you can do whatever you put your mind to, we don't need to be pirates anymore. The Admiral is the leader, if she wants to go this way, we follow. End of story. And this is coming from a lifelong pirate who spent his entire life, you know, on the, on the seas. I mean, life like that, you know which way the wind's blowing. Mm-hmm. And he knows <laughs> that the right way to go is, you know, to follow the Admiral into the larger ocean and not stay in their small little pond where they're making a few dollars here and there. Take God, this entire sequence reminded me of, like, why I still uh, am proud to follow the Maelstrom and Merylwood. So badass. Yep, Maelstrom. strong. I was like, this is a reason I... I picked it in, I think it was 2.0. I think I started somewhere else in 1.0. I started but in, yeah. uh, I started with the Adders, and then I moved over to the, um, the Flames, and then the last one, actually, for me, was the Maelstrom, because I knew I'd stick with it. <laughs> you know. Also... Side note, there were a couple lines in there that at least one of the loremongers is taking as support for her preferred ship of Merylwib and Khan E. Senna. Which I have oh, to say... God. Come on, oh, it's dear. great! Anyway, so... There's a joke there about Merylwib having to be included because she has a ship, but I don't know where it is, so you'll have to find it on your own. Anyway... God, so badass! <laughs> so now, with everybody united... <laughs> moving on... <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the, the name of one of those quests and like the entire sequence of the Great Ship Vilbrand... Yeah, that's this, what we're like, on right now. Yeah. So now, we want to unite the crew of the Great Ship Vilbrand. At this point, we've unified all of the different pirate factions but we also now have the beast tribes they are also an integral part of 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 the vilbrand ecosystem the sahagin and the kobolds and we're going to start by talking with the kobolds and see if we can't uh, usher in a little bit of peace merlin knows they fucked up hard with the uh, the accord that they had with with the kobolds they basically broke the, the the agreement that they had and uh that's the biggest reason why it was uh, it was written uh was always a bit ambiguous mm -hmm. and instead of like correcting it and making clear people uh over uh years and generations or whatever just leaned into that ambiguity and took advantage of it mm -hmm. one but, could make comparisons to real life treaties with various indigenous groups for instance yeah mm -hmm. and uh 
Well, she knows that they fucked up, and she wants to try and make it right. And they propose, now that we have this cure for tempering, we can maybe go to their leader, who is obviously tempered, and see if we can't, uh, you know, try and uh, talk some sense to them after we have removed Titan's influence. This was always going to be a hard sell. Like, even before that, you've got uh, mm -hmm. generations of distrust, of uh, of action and counteraction revenge and all that. But, like, this was always going to be a hard sell, but the tempering made it impossible. It's only now that we have this cure for tempering that it's even something worth considering. Yep. So we go in, and... We meet with the the these the leader of the second uh, order, I think is who it is, and uh, the second uh, patriarch of the second order. Yes, knowing the whole time that they are going to see this as a golden opportunity. Yep, and that's exactly what this was. They never <laughs> wanted to talk. They wanted to get the leader there and uh, summon Titan and kill them. Uh, fortunately, Merwib knew this, uh, was able to stop the summoning from happening, and then. Uh, um, I can't think of his name, Mistbeard. He, he used to be Mistbeard. Uh, God, I can never pronounce his name properly. Uh, it's Admiral... I still just remember him as Mistbeard. Commander. Uh, Einzar Slafferson. Slafferson, there we go. Um, he uses uh, a trick that he had to um, basically incapacitate um, the Patriarch while we then uh, use the Porksy to try and uh, remove the tempering. Now, yeah, that is a, like, that's a thing throughout. We don't want to, they're g coming for our heads, but we don't want to kill them. Like, Not there's going to be no chance of making a peace agreement, even if they are untempered, if we've killed some in the process. Yep. So we are trying to just hold them back while the tempering process or detempering process is taking place. Um, so we get this really good fight uh, sequence that we go through. It was tricky. There was multiple parts to this. We had to, had to go through four different phases of detempering before this actually yeah. was completed, utilizing uh, all of the ether from everybody. And, you know, people, when I played through it, I had people fall. I, yeah. I got through it in the first try, but um, I was scared that if I if you lose somebody, you might fail. But it, fortunately, that wasn't the case. I had, I think, I had uh, Slafferson uh, fall over in mine and faint. But um, I don't remember who fainted in mine. Somebody did, but yeah, that was a fun little fight. The especially the section when you give your ether and at the end there, and then you're trying to survive with a tenth of your hit points. <laughs> that sucked. By the way, that sucked a lot. So, yeah. I was in as a warrior, but oof. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, going no, from it, 140 to 14? There was a certain feel of desperation to the whole thing. Mm -hmm. We went in with something that everyone says, like, we know there's a pretty good chance that this is going to kill some or all of us, but it is also the only hope we have to go forward. Mm. There's and a certain thing to it that I loved. Yep. So we we succeed in detempering the, the 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 second patriarch or the patriarch of the second order, and he sees what he's done, and he is in disbelief. I mean, he had sacrificed his own kin for Titan summonings, mm -hmm. and uh, Gabu comes in and uh, is like, 
you you know you might be able to explain this better, Sarah. Oh. Or do you remember this part? I remember it's just it's such it is a really powerful thing, and I feel like any attempt to describe it doesn't do it justice. Oh. But what ends up happening is we are still totally untrusted by Zada, the the, the patriarch, and even. Even free of the tempering, they're still that doesn't erase the generations of uh, betrayal and reprisal, the treatment as second or third or whatever class citizens. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that there had been treaty after treaty that was misinterpreted and pushed the edges of, and there's no reason to believe that this one will be any different, which is absolutely fair on his part. I thought the part mm -hmm. where um, Merlewib places the yeah. her pistol at yeah, his feet and and puts she her life in his hands. The fact that that she trusted, you know, put her life in his hands, and then I don't, I don't think she necessarily even trusted him. I think she like uh, expected, hey, this may honestly end in my death, mm -hmm. but if that. The old, if that is what is necessary to show how firmly committed I am to this course of action. Like, just from a game theory perspective, do sh you show your commitment to a course of action by making a sacrifice, by doing something you can't undo, and handing a loaded weapon to your enemy and uh, encouraging them to point at you? You can't really undo that. What choice they make with that is up to them, but mm -hmm. that's something where you've put it outside of your hands. Just from a game theoretic perspective, that's how you show you're serious. Yeah. And Gabu coming in and uh, basically pleading his case for us is what put the, put the, put the uh, patriarch over the, the tipping point. He doesn't trust us, but he trusts Gabu. I really like that. The idea is like the recognition, and we saw this so much, the recognition of, of the captain of the Astalicia, of the uh, patriarch of the uh, Cobalt Order, that, hey, we are these old hands. We are it, have been in this for so long. It's hard for us to know this other way. But these younger people, they have this potential. And so even if we can't necessarily follow them, we want to believe that they can walk this path. And so we're going to trust them on it. And having that echoed both with the Limps and Lominsons and the Kobolds, that was... <sighs> there was a lot about this that, like, practically brought me to tears, just the power of the storytelling in it. I really loved it. It was very strong. But, so we, we, we leave the, the, um, the Ogomoro, but something else is up. I uh, do appreciate that we did get to keep Marilyn, though. Like, it, uh, it would have been a really powerful thing, but also, we need Marilyn. She's great. Yeah, she's probably, she's one of the best. Uh, a, hey. uh, a breathless uh, Maelstrom officer uh, finds us and says that uh, a strange tower has been found outside of uh, um, the, the floating city. So we go check it out, and we see this ominous tower just pulsing with energy and uh 
Yeah, he even uh, mentions that it wasn't there when he started his daily patrol. So we've got this huge structure that apparently appeared or was erected either under this <laughs> huge car erect. or just in a matter of moments. <laughs> you said erect. <laughs> but so not just that we have this great art of this a strange tower that's doing who knows what, but that apparently whatever was able to put it there was able to place it in an extremely short amount of time. Um, and a, a link pearl communication just moments later uh, to, to Merlewib uh, says that these are appearing all over Eorzea. And uh, from what we learn later, not just Eorzea, but also over in uh, um, all, all the way as far as Alamigo. Uh, we go to uh, the uh, the um, Alamegan quarter, and we see one outside of there as well. And uh, it's at that point when all of the scions are together in the uh, the courtyard area up there that uh, we're visited by a hooded asshole, for lack of a better term. Holy shit, is that guy a, a creep? Fan Daniel flies in on what he calls Lunar Bahamut. Shoots fire in 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 in, in the uh, the garden, the menagerie, and uh, yeah, he goes on this tirade, you know, saying that hey, you know, he wants to kill us, but uh, Lord Zenos uh, really wants to to play with us some more. Throws down the gauntlet basically, and that these towers are. Uh, Kind of his way of destroying everything. It's pretty fucked Dan up. Daniel is so creepy. I'm so not happy that he's back. Yeah, for those who <sighs> may not know, Fan Daniel is now inhabiting uh, uh, Asahi's body. Also, a problem. <laughs> Because that dude was also creepy as shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you got creepy on creepy, and the faces that that we're getting out, out of, that that the engine is producing to express this creepiness is just even more creepy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, I. I am looking forward to finding out more about what's going on with that fucker and about the rem what little remnants of the Asians we have, but at the same time. Ugh. And the, when we see that uh, um, in, in the after cutscenes, when the, they they had sent uh, uh, detachments to go check out the tower in uh, um, in the locks. Um, but we go back to the Rising Stones and... Uh, we we t we exchange news and uh, time to check in. Yep, the porksies that we sent to uh, Olda and Gridania. Um, so they'll be able to do some of their own uh, detempering, and hopefully we'll uh, be able yeah, to start I mean, improving things. Bring it to this mass production point where it's not just okay, a couple of intrepid people going around detempering one person at a time, having like this mass administration being able to make a real meaningful dent in it. Um, we learned from I wonder uh, if they're gonna use this to get I wonder if they're gonna use this to get rid of beast tribes for Realm Reborn areas. 
I don't think so, in part because you still have the entirety of Realm Reborn and the like. I could see you have like some follow-up quests, and it's not like they're going to integrate into the cities overnight. I mean, a lot of them are still going to have their own cultures. I don't think they're going to get rid of it entirely. No. But we might see more appearances of various ones. We might have an even more united Eorzea than we had before. Which is kind of a... the hope. I mean, there have always been the factions that are friendly you know and even mm -hmm. if they're even if they're not tempered i would still say that the other factions may still be a little bit more on the hostile side people are again for the whole the gabu issue of like hey i don't you know we still don't trust you after years of dealing with mm -hmm. this even if i'm no longer tempered exactly. we still don't trust you and that goes for everybody. That goes for Sahagan. That goes for Ixali. That goes for everyone. Amalja. Yeah, everybody. Um, I'm trying not to bring out the real world parallels again, but yeah. there's some Stop real it. parallels. <laughs> uh, we learned from uh, Kryl that apparently these towers are even going as far as uh, Yangsha. So they're basically everywhere that we've been. And. Uh, <laughs> With the, I, at this point, I just say it's kind of a worldwide thing. Well, that's what it seems like, at least. At this point, yeah, it's seeming like it. Um, uh, Kryla and Tatrud are gonna go find Astinian. Yay for Astinian! <laughs> that poor guy. I feel sorry for him. <laughs> hey, buddy, you're finally done doing things. Come help us again. <laughs> well, I mean. He is probably one of the, the better choices at this point with his dealings with uh, um, Nidhogg. You know, he sh probably has a lot to say. True. And the fact that uh, Krile yeah, and Tatru Tatru are probably the best at finding him because, well, that's what they seem to love to do. I mean, you remember the story, don't you? Mm. <laughs> that, that, that Stormblood story that, that, that we had? Oh, where they keep, they just kept finding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. God, Stormblood oh. was so good. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's basically where we're at. Then there is an after, uh, um, a, a post, uh, MSQ scene where we learn that these were sent out by the, uh, um, by Fan Daniel and, uh, by what's his face, uh, Xenos, to basically, like I said, to destroy the entire world, but not before Xenos has the opportunity to play with us again. Ew. Well, he wants to play. He wants to have nope. with his bestie. And then, no. there, then there's the second scene where the, uh, the crew that went out to investigate the one in the locks, they come back and they're kind of tempered or they're one person comes back and is like quite different and he starts to rush at everybody and then it kind of cuts to black yeah it's is it a yeah, zombie the, apocalypse the invocation of lunar bahama has me worried for a number of reasons hmm <laughs> So now we're kind of closing up. We're kind of closing up on the MSQ, at least for this patch. 
Well, I mean, there's a lot of other places that we can yet go. I mean, we have, we want to see what happens with not only, we, you know, we have relations to build with the, um, the kobolds, but we also have the Sahagin that we mm -hmm. to deal with. We have, um, all the other beast tribes in the other zones, you know, trying to build trust back with at least some of the leadership to try and, uh, you know, see if we can't move forward in a unified front, not only to live in, in peace and harmony, but to maintain what we have against the Empire. And that's fine, but that's not happening in this patch. Hmm. It, it could happen behind the scenes, I suppose. I mean, Possibly, like, like I but said, we don't we don't actively play through it. We're out of quests. My MSQ says to be continued after this. We do have like a potential point four five patch, and then we have the the point five patch. Yeah, but those are different patches. Oh yeah, we're 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 up we're up to date right now. Yeah, that's what I said first, okay. and now you're arguing with me Sorry. about it. That's why I didn't understand. I was like, what are I, you talking about? There I, is no more to this patch, dude. I thought you were talking yeah. expansion. Like Sorry. Yeah, no. Like, there's some side stories, but... I said patch, not okay. expansion. I, I, I misunderstood. Good. Yeah, no, there's there's lots of stuff that we can still do, but for this particular, for 5.4... Yes, we're done. Our MSQ is like, okay, here's the next branch of, yeah, we have a bunch of beast tribes. Yeah, we have places to go and stuff to do. But for now, we get to sort of try to figure out, all right, cool, let's fix the Beast Tribes. What the hell is Fandaniel doing here? Okay, I guess we have to go find Astinian too. And then this is sort of the chapter close for the next one. It's a really good spot that gives us things to look forward to for 0.45 or 0.5. But it doesn't let us feel like we're in the middle of something. How far? It was actually timed pretty well. How far do you think they're going to take it until we hit 6.0? I don't think they're going to go very far. I honestly think this is going to be our like next little chapter of what we do is we spent all of Stormblood getting Alamigo and Doma and at some level uh we had to get ev we had to get our three nations back together. At some level we had to get the guys in uh Foundation all coming with us too. Like if we didn't have everyone allied, we weren't going to win. We spent a whole expansion allying everyone. And now we have beast tribes that we can start removing all their fanaticism and rebuilding the relationships that we want. Maybe we spend part of a expansion rebuilding our beast tribes and aligning them. So now instead of just having the Eorzean Alliance, we have the Eorzean Alliance, the Eorzean Beastmen Alliance, and all... 11 flags are flying as we go against the Empire in 6.4 6.5 that'd be fun so you think that just might be a building uh, a secondary storyline moving forward or some of it might just mm -hmm. be happening behind the scenes and we'll get cutscenes at, at cut progress I wouldn't mind it honestly just being a side story and then we get all of these little you know fun what? pieces on odd number patches or whatever so you think then we like we did a lot. One of the things that the entire thing of this was, hey, we're going to do this so that we can let other people start handling the work. Maybe that's, we don't need to put out every fire ourselves. You know, that, that's actually very fair and very true. So, 
So you're thinking then the the five point five is then going to focus mainly on Fan Daniel and Xenos. I think so. Or setting up whatever the main thrust of six point oh is going to be. Exactly, as we discussed earlier, like at the end of you know, oh, we're falling into comas. Gee, I wonder why. Like we we set up that end piece so that we have at you know x point zero, we have a good turning point to jump into it. As opposed to the you mean create well, where the, are we going now? Yeah, create we need the to rocket have to the moon. Something like that. <laughs> like we have to have that conflict for us to resolve. That's how yeah. storytelling works. Yep. Um, but I would like to see. I'd like to see them do more with Beast Tribes because, again, the the Beast Tribe quests that we have for Realm Reborn are out of date, irrelevant, don't get done by most new players. If they weren't done by older players, most people aren't going back and doing them. They're just not relevant. This is an opportunity to grab us older players that have been around for a while and run us through those areas again that we haven't been to. Again, we talked about it like an hour and a half ago. We use stuff over and over again. So let's go back to Aleport and run over the wall and go talk to the Sahagan. Let's have dialogue there. Let's build quest lines there. Let's change stuff that's going on. Let's change NPCs that are there. First, so that we get a new experience, and so we're using stuff that we already had. Ideally, I would like to see them first revamp the the quest systems that are already in existence there, so that way the old players who didn't run them and the new players mm-hmm. can get the storyline, but it may be more condensed versions. Where, like what they did with the new Beast Tribes, it doesn't take nearly as long to, to max out your rank with those and get through the storyline. I forgot that I was doing dwarves and I did them for four more days and then I was done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't take very long. Whereas with the old beast tribes, it took weeks, literal weeks to, to get, get it. to get what a mount, a thing that you could then buy from that NPC that you were just going to buy from the market board anyway, because it was faster. Yeah. So if they increase Not the amount of it. points that they give out in those quests, I think it'll make things go much smoother. And it, it's it theoretically, even from a programming standpoint, shouldn't be difficult to change that number. I like the we basically have it now as like we have numbers of like you need 550 in order to get to the no, none of that matters. It's four. <laughs> you just you do a day and then you start another day and you turn in one and then you jump up a level. It's to set it up that way. Yep. And I would like to see them go back and reuse it. Just because I don't give a shit about the Amalja, but they're really cool lore-wise, and their story is amazing, and the art that they have, and the gear that they're wearing, and the jewelry that they're wearing is so cool. I'm not doing Realm Reborn quests. They're just not worth the time, most of the time. But by having this as a storyline piece for level 80 slash level 90, we can now say, well, we untempered all of these other not allied beast men and now they're coming in and they're doing some of the work that we would have been doing as those little side quests and they can shorten it up a little bit or i want to see them do more like i said or if they if they simplify it make it easier to get those uh, levels and then Mm -hmm. as have that as a requirement to then continue on with an allied style beast tribe quests that that you can then handle 
but they need to make it more accessible. I th that's the first thing they need to do is make the old ARR beast tribes more accessible for everybody. So that we don't have to warp one place and then fly across the map like far. Like it's not close by most of the time. Heavensward got better. Mog Home had one right next to it, which was nice. Mm -hmm. uh, what was the other one in Heavensward? Well, there was the the Moogles. There was um, the uh, Vanu Vanu, mm -hmm. and then there was the uh, the Vath. The Nath. Was it the Vath? The Nath. I can never keep them straight, and I feel like that's slow key racism. I believe, I believe it, the Vath were the, uh, the 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 purple ones, and the Nath were the red ones. Or green ones. That sounds I mean. right. Green. Vanu Vanu, Vath, Moogles, uh, Kojin, Ananta, Namazu, Dwarves, Katari, Pixies. Oh man, we're probably going to get our allied beast tribe quest next patch, aren't we? Yeah, we will. That's generally the, yeah. in the point five. I wonder if the first has an equivalent of the naked cat guy with the mask. You know it does. Oh god. <laughs> you know it does. <laughs> But yeah, let's go back. Let's grab because I'm looking at the list right now. Amalja, Sylph, Cobalt, Sahagan, and Ixal. Okay, Ixal's gonna be weird. Let's be real. But like Sahagan and Cobalt, we've already got the through lines on making those work and putting them into a narrative. Amalja and Sylph, we're gonna have to find a way to make that happen. But it's doable. Mm -hmm. So let's see what happens in the next patch and let's see what happens in 6.0 because there's definitely some announcements and they've said it in a few live letters and stuff over the last year and a half. We want to change more things. Everybody's currently working from their apartments. Mm -hmm. We'll get to it. This is low on the priority list of stuff to do in this game. We haven't gotten a Hildebrand quest in a while either. There's some stuff that got backburnered for mm -hmm. sure. Unbork six-year-old beast tribe quest is definitely not top tier priority yeah but having them having them show up more in the things we do like maybe in the hub area well they'll be like okay and here's the thing for like the uh 789th order irregulars because you know those kobolds are pretty irregular okay so the sapphire avenue exchange has a couple of malja running carts now <laughs> I'd be so down for that. It's subtle, but it's very good. Very reminiscent of Final Fantasy XII, where the Bunga were the ones running all of your like stores and stuff in mm -hmm. town. Like, show that there are beast tribes. Show that not everybody is one of the six character classes or six races that you could pick at the start of character creation. Yeah, it'd be show nice that they, the world evolves bigger. They brought that in. Yeah, I mean, there's a few that uh, you can you can see some beast tribes within you know the city states. Um, but yeah, you don't see very many. No. Have the sylphs float around the flower gardens in uh, in town. Just they don't need to do anything. They can just be there and be adorable. All right, Sarah, do you want to talk about the sorrow of Whirlit? Oh sure, because we've it's like okay, things are looking hopeful of this. So let's go ahead and switch to our traumatized child mech pilot <laughs> anime. <laughs> <laughs> this was oh. a very, very powerful story. Yeah. So we go ahead and uh, with receiving the call, we make our tri uh, trip back to Turncliff, which is kind of acting as our base of operations for staging things into the Wearlit area. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, 
once we've arrived, uh, Sid uh, fills us all in on the situation about how they've discovered uh, the newest uh, one of uh, weapon for the Seventh Legion, the Emerald Weapon. Uh, one of the concerns being that we do have another weapon that seems to be active now, but no one has seen any type of movements. No, like, air movements, nothing moving across land. Uh, so the suspicion is that it's been transported by sea. Uh, reasonable location uh, in order uh, to uh, complete its location and have a staging ground for launching into Eorzea. Giving us options of either Castrum Occidens, that would be the one on the in eastern Lenosha where we have the first foray into the binding coil of Bahamut, or Castrum Marinum, uh, which you may remember as the one in the background at Cape Westwind. Uh, so we split up to go investigate, uh, take a submersible uh, to uh, Castrum Marinum, uh, in our case, we've been sent there along with Gaius. Uh, and once we do reach it, we uh, face off against the Emerald Weapon, which, once again, uh, we are uh, faced with a pilot who uh, activates the Oversoul system, fuses with the core of it, uh, discussing, uh, claiming that this is like a thing that's necessary, uh, a few last heartfelt words to his friends that he won't be coming back to, uh, and we are... So one thing, as a side note, was pointed out, the shapes of the various weapons also reference the shapes of the uh, Garland Commander's helmets that they're based on. That emerald weapon shape, that's the same as Gaius's helmet shape. There's lots of weird little aspects like that. And yes, this one is loaded with oversold data of the Black Wolf's uh, fighting style. So we end up facing off against a strange uh, replication of Gaius. Uh, still an open question about how exactly they obtained this data, given that Gaius ha had left long ago, and certainly, yeah, there's been questions throughout about where they're getting this data from. And the fact that he's still alive. Yeah. Uh, you know, the interesting well, thing with this, um, the, 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 the commanders that we've gotten the Oversoul data from, one of them disappeared five years ago in in the uh when bahamut attacked yep. uh well, slightly before that when we beat her up but yes the uh, the next one you know died up in azisla you know to uh to, to um what's his name the last one of the the triad uh, regular oh yeah regular yeah, regular died to zervon yep and then now the fact that you know gaius was thought to be dead in uh, in uh, Castrum, but uh, he's still alive. So, where are they getting their data from? Is it coming? Does it have to do with the armor that they've been wearing? This Magitech yeah. armor. There's a lot of uh, weirdness about that. It's suggested that there may have been some stuff gathered, but like, how long ranging has this program been? Was it something where it was being gathered for other purposes? Uh, the fact that we have Dale Van Darnis going back like five years back to the original Meteor Project, and they were still able to recover this stuff, really makes me wonder. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. 
But yeah, uh, the fight itself, especially once the Oversoul is activated and we have the battlefield transitioning to uh, what we're told is uh, Werelith during the time of its invasion, uh, this like blasted battlefield of uh, smoking remnants and like houses on fire around. God, it was such a cool feeling. The music was a great track, too. So just like really exciting thing. And while, well, of course, we have uh, the Forsaken Child being fused with the armor. With the core of uh, the uh, emerald weapon, uh, but after the battle, uh, Gaius, of course, is mourning the loss of its pilot. In this case, Rex, another one of the orphans he's raised. So this is now three of those orphans that have been lost uh, to this project. Uh, and uh, afterwards, we do meet up with Gaius's compatriots. Uh, who, after they arrived at Castor Marinum, finding nothing at Occidens, they were able to find Allie, another one of the orphans, who had been locked in a cell. Uh, she seems to be, uh, she seems to go into shock at the sight of the Emerald we uh, Weapon wreckage. We're able to get very little info out of her at that time, so we go ahead and return to Turncliff to recover from the ordeal, try to get a, a Oh, what's up, class? Before that, we do get that uh, that echo vision, where we see um, Rex and Allie and the last one. I can't, why can I not remember his name? Alphonse. Uh, something like that. The three of them are talking before they go. Before Rex actually goes into um, the Emerald Weapon, and yeah. they're basically talking about how why they're doing this and why. Allie want, wants to know why she's not being one that's in one of piloting one of these and they, they say that she has the most kind spirit and they want to make sure that she is around when they are able to uh, basically take this and uh, free Werelet from the Empire. Yeah. So, there is an under this is the first we get a glimmering that while the Empire has this as a, this is their new weapon system they're going to use for this, that the orphans themselves have their own designs on it yep. to be the pilots who will take over it, perfect it, and then seize control of it to liberate Werelet. Yep, exactly. And, and so yeah, we've got a little bit more of a complicated motivation than we initially saw from yep. them. So they decided to put Allie in the cells to protect her for, from the upcoming battle while Rex so possibly to make sure that she can't go piloting anything herself. Yep. And to make sure that, uh, you know, she is safe and then, uh, isn't forced to become a pilot next. Right. Basically forces uh, her or forces the last, the last brother, the last one of the orphans to be basically the next pilot, if that's the case. So, yep. Uh, we do get filled in a little bit more on some of that backstory, uh, the treatment that the Garleans would give to those who are not pure-blooded, yep. bruising and welts all over Allie's body in this case, uh, which they say most likely inflicted by the Imperials that she worked under. Yep. Uh, Allie herself, once she uh, does recover, uh, fills us in on the uh, present state of affairs on the Legatus of the Seventh Legion, Valens von Baro. Uh, who she describes as jealous and cruel, willing to use any means at his disposal to achieve his goals, no matter how vile they may be. And she also does fill us in on Alphonse's dream to use the weapon project to break free from the Empire and establish a safe haven for those who wish to live in peace. Yep. We, uh, also, we also learn a little bit about Severa, 
um, she was also, um, when she was a part of the, uh, um, the, the military, um, sh how she was treated poorly as well. And, uh, yeah. so she really understands what's, what Allie was going through on that. She tried to use her power to, to try and help her family, but ended up being ostracized by both sides because while her father was Garlean, her mother was from Werlet. It's also strongly implied that father was a true blood, mother was not, and that father forced himself upon mother. This is a recurring thing we see with a lot of it. Uh, Half-blooded children born under brutal circumstances, a lot of them having this vision of somehow proving themselves, of somehow navigating this thin, tight rope to seize glory or to seize this power and use it to kind of free their country. We saw that with Fordola way back in, uh, in Stormblood. Mm -hmm. And so we do see this tragedy playing out time and time again. Yep. Uh, and yes, Severa herself. So we're getting a lot more of those details filled in about Gaius's companions, learning a little bit more about how he came to be traveling with them and about their own experiences. So yeah, we're getting a little bit, learning a little bit more of the experience and motivations of the players in this tragedy. Uh, and Ali does fill us in on that plan that they, uh, that the orphans had to use the power of the weapons to free Werelit. But she also no longer has any information on where he is. So we're going to have to go back to having our scouts go out, keep an eye out for further movements of the weapons. We once again are left in a position of waiting for them to make the next move. Yep. And that's, uh, yeah, that's pretty much where it leaves us, us uh, delivering our report, uh, heading back to Lion's Thing and uh, being told to wait for the next one. But once again, we've learned a little bit more about the motivations and a bit about the cruelty of the Empire. Well, don't, um, don't forget the final the, the scenes after. Yeah, we do have that, uh, among other things, a testing sequence of uh, a volunteer, we'll call him, uh, being forced into a testing chamber similar to the core. There's not uh, only that, before that... Yeah. Uh, oh well. Go ahead and cut, uh, mention your bit yeah, because I was another. Before that, we get the the whole uh, scene where um, Alphonse is in a detention chamber or a. Uh, um, oh oh the... god, that was brutal. So we do see him with a uh, Legatus Van Valens, who is displeased and who has a number of his young proteges standing there with bars of metal with glowing ends held up high, like just waiting and instructing them to administer the proper punishments. We see these kids with hesitating hands move forward, pressing that glowing metal into but, Alphonse. But Sarah, this isn't punishment. This is treatment. They're oh, burning yes. the we bad. Must, Burn the bad. Out of God, that entire thing was just unsettling. He was creepy AF. Again, they use this engine to, to for these all these facial distortions is what this ended up being. And holy shit, is he batshit crazy? Yeah. Okay, like I'm not gonna lie, I had total God. What's the name of the priest from Hunchback of Notre Dame? Don't remember. Uh, I have no idea. I've never seen it. But no, this was. Yeah. It was at, once Frollo. that Frollo. Okay. 
but yeah, like just that twist, like this idea of like we are purging the sin and we like burn this out and in like leading these children to go ahead and participate in the purging of sin by torturing Alphonse with glowing hot metal. Mm-hmm. And oh. it's after that, then <sighs> he gets news of I, the, I the test. Shut that bit out of my mind until you mentioned it again. I'm sorry for, for, for re- no, re- reinstating PTSD, but yeah, it's, it just goes to show the type of um, mindset that this uh, animal has i mean because that's what he's acting like he's acting like a, 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 a raving lunatic um yeah. drunk with power yeah and we also see the testing chamber where they're uh preparing new weapons we have a volunt a volunteer <laughs> uh, finger quotes for this those. is yeah yeah, uh, his family is standing in uh, watching because uh, he, having been promised that if he participates in this, they'll be allowed to go free as they test another over uh, soul uh, to uh, see how well it's going to take. And we see the machine going, hear the horror, see the, the uh, door open and the mangled, twisted hand flopping out. And then calling for, okay, let's go ahead and put in the next one. And it's like, what? And as the, uh, as the man's wife looks on in horror, uh, it's like, what, you think we were going to do that? Why would we worry about promises that we make to animals? Like, you again have this, uh, the Seventh Legion, which this is not just, oh, you've got this bad person at the top. With that person at the top, you've got this encouragement of, and, and like this, like, allowing of, Rot throughout people who see have these twisted ambitions and these complete uh, lack of regard uh, for the lives of others finding a place where they can thrive. And we see them preparing to put the uh, the wife into the chamber, knowing that she's going to be the next test subject. Mm-hmm. Also, that kid's not gonna, yeah, it's like is that kid going to become another one of the Legatus's orphans now? Is that where they come from? Also, Probably. the fact that this Oversoul for Diamond Weapon is Xenos. That's gonna be... Xenos uh, found Galvis. You have to imagine that the... Yeah, I don't... You have to imagine that the actual... Found out about it. Fights, they're not great. He'd be kind of just, like, disgusted with it. Well... <laughs> And here's the other thing is basically once the Oversoul kicked in, um, Xenos's desire for battle and, and wanting to find us kicked in. And so yeah, we're not just gearing up for a climactic thing with a diamond weapon, but a diamond weapon imprinted with this mindset that wants to battle against us, that views us as this glorious destiny. He's still, but... Uh, Valos is Varos is still trying to fix that. Valens, excuse me. He's trying to change the way the Oversoul is taking over because he said it, it was useless to have an Oversoul with the uh the, the motivations of a beast. Yeah. Like he want he he doesn't just want this to be a thing that he sets and unleashes because okay fine it defeats the warrior of light and then what this thing isn't going to go around run uh, invading cities like I want we need more control we need a beast that we can keep on a leash yeah we need something that's going to follow our orders that's so. going to require a lot of test subjects 
How many people live in the uh, the Empire? Slightly fewer now. <laughs> Whatever the, the number was a few minutes ago, minus one. The Empire <laughs> might argue that are they really people? But Clearly yeah, not. This is just going yeah, this a is very disturbing like, side of the Empire. As we've had uh, people like like we had uh, Maxima, who uh, fled, who defected to our side. Like As you have uh, all these ones fleeing for their lives, the ones who are left behind are kind of the worst of the worst. It is really starting to feel like something of, is there any hope for Garlemald other than to just burn it all out? I don't think so. I think we should nuke him. Mm, I don't like Garlemald. Garlemald bothers me a lot. Mm. The only good thing they ever did was in Heaven's Word, they look at everything happening and they go, hey guys, this is messed up. When Garlemald says you guys have messed up, you've messed up. (laughs) And then comes the purge. Yes. Get down with the sickness. (sighs) Yeah, uh, definitely like we do seem to be gearing up for the big confrontation with Garlemald. As, uh, like, I remember that was a thing. In one point, we had kind of like the grand companies, all of these nation states unifying together. We saw that with the Realm Reborn, where you had Operation Archon uh, and like several more groups coming. To- and now it's becoming an even more united Eorzea that might be ready to take the fight directly to Garlemald. It's, it's becoming a united Heidelin. I mean, it's still Eorzea. Well, we, no, we have well, Othard, too. Yeah, we've got Hien's alliance as well. Mm-hmm. So it's becoming an, a united Heidelin at this point. I mean, Maricidia would probably still be like, you fuckers deal with it yourself and don't you dare come near us, but... Huh. So... Yeah, the New Year's, the New Year's poem... Uh, I'll go ahead and mention, since we talked briefly about it, the New Year's poem does also seem to suggest that our Leon may be involved at some point in this. Uh, the references to exploring the heavens and to beneath the earth, uh, to the Charlene School of Astrology and to the Antitower and similar type endeavors. So given their longstanding um, neutrality stance, or just non-involvement for that matter, one wonders if that's going to finally come to a head or if that's going to be something that uh, may start to tip the balance as we do move into the next expansion. So that's something else I'm uh, looking for looking for as we started bringing together all these disparate forces we started bringing in the dragons we have dragon crafters and we're having a mixing of cultures like we really are bringing all of these different beings together and charlayan does seem like one of the ones that's left on that though that also seems like one with their current leadership maybe might tip towards garlemald so that's something i'm going to be keeping an eye on for in the next uh, round of uh, story <sighs> So yeah, we'll get the. You feel better? I'm still emotionally exhausted. I had forgotten about a couple of those bits and reviewing and putting them together with the benefit of time to have processed it. It's like, wow, that really was fucked up. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I just in some ways I had not really realized until I processed it all. Yeah, it's pretty bad. I mean, I I I just went through that uh, quest line this week, so it's it was pretty fresh in my head, and like, huh, wow. Those guys are really fucked in the head. I got through it and was just like, I'm, I already didn't like anyone in this alliance. I already didn't like anyone in the 7th Legion. This is not helping. 
This is not making no. it easier. No. I mean, the remnants of the Seventh Legion were those who stood behind Nail of Van Darnus. Yeah, even as it uh, came to like this. So, like, the ones who are still left, they've been stri- uh Yeah, they're the ones who uh, were kind of in for a penny, in for a pound with all this. All right. I mean, like, those who weren't had defected or otherwise gotten out of there or gotten killed. Right. I don't think we have time necessarily to go through a full bit of Eden's promise. No, um, not really. That for another time. Well, there's adorable yeah. lesbians. There's some really good symbolism with the rainbow. It's awesome. I mean, there's a re- some really good fights as well. I mean, I enjoyed the Cloud of Darkness fight. Um, the fight with uh, the, uh, the Shadow Keeper. Yeah, that 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 thing that looked kind of like a really weird uh, Cerberus model. It was the Shadow Keeper. Yep, that was a really interesting fight. I still have issues with some of those mechanics with the uh, the, the the true shadow. Uh, it helps a lot if you had done a whole bunch of the uh, Omega fight, and so you are very familiar with left and right and starboard and larboard and thinking about things in those terms, right. because you have a whole bunch of sudden shifts of directional type things and where the facing is. Yeah, it's just like I, when, when he shifts like 90 degrees off of the way the actual boss is facing, and then you got to figure out which left and right is there, that's where it kind of confuses me sometimes. Yeah, um, and- a literal nightmare of a boss conjured up from Reen's deepest traumas. Oh god, that fight with yeah, the no, uh, the, the mix between Thancrid and uh, um what's his face? Uh yeah, so a kind of as I said, like literally uh, dredged up from Reen's deepest fears. It becomes this manifestation of a weird mix of Thancrid and Ranjit, these two father figures for her, fought in the in an arena that looks like the depths of a Yulmore in jail, where she spent so much of her life. It was an interesting fight, though, and then, and then there was there was the the, the she bo- those blade attacks with the summoned dragon moves. Oh yeah, it, I really love that fight. Trying to f- re- remember which ones are the ones you need that are going to double, and then which ones will kick you back. So knowing where you need to stand, and then the one where you yeah. need to stand close, far, and then way far. It, yeah, it's gunblade charged up with varying types of ether and needing to uh, remember the various uh, moves he's pulling and how those will be affected by the ether that he's using. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. It felt like a really thematically stylish fight. You have some of like you have some of Thancred's uh, like that. Uh, I forget the name, but like the one where he kind of like moves to the shadows. So you have his sudden thing for stealth. Mm-hmm. Then followed by the dragon comes in and starts charging up new moves. Like it was this really weird and interesting melding of the two individuals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was a fun fight. And then and then there was uh, the 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 the, the booby mommy at the end. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is that was one of those ones. The final boss literally called Eden's promise. Mm-hmm. Uh, that again, it, it looks strange, but. Under those depths, it melds symbolism from a lot of different real-world things, a couple ancient artifacts. Uh, Including a pineapple tree. There's a lot going on with that. And that's <laughs> like do a short thing about later, because there's just a lot of fun symbolism in there. I do want to mention one thing that uh, did come up. At, uh, so we had previously uh, released all the various elements uh, brought all of those back to the empty uh, and then seeing it start to fade and realizing that while we've released all that, there's still a lot of light and we need to start bringing in that dynamic dark energy, the entire reason for fighting the cloud of light yep. or of darkness. Yep. 
And after that fight, that color-changing crystal that seems to show that elemental structure of the stuff that has been released takes on a new uh, striped pattern, suspiciously arranged. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, and purple. All of those elemental colors. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of... Yes, sir. We know that there's a ship. <laughs> oh, yes. So in terms of the elemental associations with each of the colors, with all the various things that we have, there is no good reason for those to be arranged that way. There is no real justifiable thing in world for why they should happen to just form the pattern of a rainbow. They but- are not in Wooberg order. They are not in any specific order. They just happened to show up as a rainbow. Well, yeah, that one I got a kick out of. First off, for the... There's a really nice piece of symbolism that I haven't seen talked about as much of the one of the original the biblical interpretation of the rainbow yep. as a thing that was sent after the flood as God's promise to never again flood the world. And we have this raid series called Eden's Promise and this rainbow representative of the promise of Eden to never again flood the world with light. So it's kind of a really fun parallel there. Plus, there's also the, oh my god, they're so in lesbians, and yay, we're going to celebrate that. <laughs> I mean, come on. The Twitter account, at least the English one, j- had to point out the, oh my god, they're holding hands for the patch image. They're so in lesbians, and it's adorable. <sighs> you can see your pride shining through, Sarah. I was going to say, Sarah's happier now, which, is, which was <laughs> a good thing. Oh, it's yes. good. Like, none of that disturbing stuff. We've got really clever, deep biblical illusion that parallels really well as we're rebuilding the literal Garden of Eden here. And then we've also got adorable lesbians. Like, what's not to love? You're not I feel wrong. like that's a good point to leave it on. I was going to say, I mean, we're on the first, so that's not ideal. But other than that, it's fine. But we can go back yeah. and forth, so we're fine. The first is allowed to have oh, lesbians, God. All right. Uh, is there anything else that you guys wanted to talk about before we go ahead and close this up? Oh, not tonight. Yeah. As I said, a lot of table setting, especially in the MSQ, mostly dealing with a lot of those uh, long running questions of uh, problems, stuff like the issue of tempering, uh, the question of what these, uh, how the relations with the beast tribes look, how these various um ones are going to be moving towards the future and it feels like we really kind of tied up some of those and put in a thing where we are well positioned to really start facing the threat that we're going to be dealing with starting with next patch and then running into 6.0 so as i said lots of table setting uh but done in a way that felt really satisfying i'm happy with it yeah overall i was i was pleased with 5.4 god grad he is such a so adorable I'm just glad that we actually got a patch. <laughs> My bar, honestly, for Shadowbringers after about 5.2 has been, it'd be really nice if it was off the ground. Pandemic. It just be, pandemic made it really rough to just be like, all right, we're getting a patch in three months and it's going to have a raid. It's going to have a dungeon. It's going to have six MSQs. It's going to have a, you get whatever we get. So I'm just like, when it shows up, it shows up and I'll take whatever you've got for me and it comes in a weird order and it's okay. Yep. And I'm I'm um, fine with it as as long as they are doing it safely. And they exactly. are, they are staying safe and they are giving us quality content. Yeah. My first world problem is my video game is kind of boring. <laughs> I think I'm going to be okay. 
but I really do. At least our video game isn't Cyberpunk 2077. That's not a video game. That's a scam in a box. And on that bombshell, that's going to do it for this episode. (laughs) If you liked what you heard, please make sure to like, subscribe, or follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, or whatever your preferred podcatcher is. And if possible, leave us a rating or review. It really does help us uh, out in the community and lets us know what you think of the podcast. If you really dig the show, consider subscribing here at twitch.tv slash Phoenix Radio and get access to a whole bunch of subscriber-only emotes and badges. Um, you, so you can throw out the Sayer emote or the Klaus emote, or if you're really feeling uh, saucy, you can uh, subscribe at the Tier 3 and get the Lava Scorpion. Ooh. <laughs> Or you can go out to our Patreon uh, account at patreon.com slash Radio, like our benevolent overlord, Aurori Fenrir. Um, all proceeds go towards growing the show, cover hosting costs, allow us to do some fun things, get some cameras, improvements on the show. And uh, yeah, we, we, do, we, we try and reinvest in this and uh, make it better and better. But any kind of support, whether it's emails, likes, tweets, or retweets, uh, subs, donations, or whatever you do, it's greatly appreciated. We love interacting with you guys and the rest of the community. Uh, go check out our backlog of uh, podcasts as well as a few interesting articles out at our website, phoenixdownradio.com. Uh, if you have questions, suggestions, or just want to shoot the shit, email us, podcast at phoenixdownradio.com. Uh, check out our Discord. at uh, You can find that at phoenixdownradio.com slash Discord. That should give you the link to our Discord channel. And uh, we are also out on YouTube. We're trying to grow our video presence. Uh, you can go to youtube.com slash phoenixdownradio. All right. Who wants to uh, shout out somebody? I am going to shout out one of my favorite coworkers who I'm losing today. It's her last day. Uh, congratulations, Jess. Good luck in your future endeavors. Have fun freediving and riding horses and studying psychology, you weirdly brilliant child born after I had already dropped out of college the first time. <laughs> um, You're old. Do you want to have your bones turned to dust? Have somebody be like, I don't know what it's... Use the words 3D print the save icon at a person unironically, and you know that you're old. <laughs> it's rough. Um, also, shout outs to... Uh, Alex and Kat, who are here pretty much every week harassing me in chat, uh, even though they don't play this hot mess. Uh, it is also always great to have you here. Uh, and shout-outs to uh, the awesome beverage manager at Uwajmaya, who finally started answering my emails and is going to bring stuff over so I don't have to fly to Japan to import food anymore. Woo! And where can people find you and follow your whole thing with this marvelous motors uh, debacle? <laughs> you, you can't find me on social media because social media is a trash fire. Uh, you can actually, uh, you can find me on Instagram and on TikTok at Marvelous Tofu. I post a lot of weird, janky stuff. You can also follow my business ventures at MarvelousMotors.org and at Marvelous Motors Project on TikTok and Instagram. Uh, I'm picking up cars that nobody needs, fixing them and giving them to people. Uh, the Sorry, there's an actual set of words that I'm supposed to use now. <laughs> I think the cars to the more 
at giving the cars to at risk members of our community. I think that's what it is. I don't know. Steve gave me a list of things to say. Uh, also, shouts to Wanderer Sabaku for doing legal crap and not charging me for it. <laughs> uh, which was great. Another member, a friend of the show, member of the 14 community, uh, go check out uh, Stage Reborn. Uh, they do amazing work. That's that Wanderer Sabaku. So. Great guy. Very cool guy. And uh, if you guys have ideas on things you'd like to see us do for fundraisers for Marvelous Motors, let us know. We really want to get some good ideas so we can do a fundraiser this summer. Sarah? Sarah uh, Screenix has Circuit Superstars coming out. We can do a car <laughs> game. Oh, so shout out to a bunch of uh, friends over on Excalibur where we did uh, maps a whole lot yesterday and today. And then also last night played a whole bunch of Parkitect and I got to be in charge of making the fireworks displays for our amusement park. It was great. Uh, so shout out to Talia Lumala, Suna Zatashi, Alecto Erindes, and Arika Hiorin, Bubu Umbutu, and Korgash Axebreaker all over on Excalibur. You're great, and I love you, and, like, we should make more roller coasters. I think I've worked out how to do the fire jets properly. Uh, yes. Uh, shout out, uh, to... I had something. I can't even remember what anymore. Uh, if you feel like you deserve a shout out, have a shout out. You can poke me and I'll shout you out. <laughs> It'll be great. You know what? I'm in a good mood. Ask me for stuff. Can I have uh, a dollar? Are your Nick Nar, you're being active in the chat. Shout out to you. Good job <laughs> on that. Uh, and you can find me on social media at FF14Sayer. That's F-F-X-I-V-S-E-Y-R-R. Uh, I post randomly, mostly random things that I cooked or interesting, uh, retweeting interesting things I saw other people said. Uh, uh, more often, you can find me on our Discord, which I'm pretty sure we have the link to. Where do we have that link? Uh, it's it's in our Twitter page. Uh, it's our Twitter. It's in our Twitch page. It's in a bunch of stuff. You should join us on Discord. Shooting the shit. It's pretty awesome. Uh, and yeah. Yeah, phoenixstarradio.com slash Discord for those of you listening on the podcast. Um, otherwise, oh, sweet. We have a direct link on that. Nice. Yeah, well, I, 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 I kind of link. That. Um, otherwise, like I said, you can go to our call-in channel from the link that I posted in the Twitch chat. Um, but yeah, otherwise, just search for, uh, for the Phoenix Down Radio on uh, Discord, and you should find us. If you need a link, we can send you one. Just email us, podcast.phoenixradio.com, or hit us up on social medias. As far as for me, uh, I have always want to shout out to these two knuckleheads to my either side here. Uh, for uh, always uh, being here uh, to discuss this uh, game that we love. Um, I put these notes together this afternoon just because everything in my life right now, all of my energy is going towards real-life stuff right now. So I haven't had a chance to sit down and uh, play games as much as I wanted to or anything like that. So getting to sit here every two weeks and uh, just bullshit... And, and and have a good time with these two. It's like like I said last time. It's just real grounding and uh, makes me makes me just kind of come back to to reality a little bit. Even though we're talking about something that's not real, <laughs> it's just the social interaction you get with 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 friends that you that you don't get to see very often. 
Uh, shout out to everybody watching us live here at twitch.tv slash Radio. Let's see who we've got here. Uh, Nick Nar. Uh, we've got Rory, Allie Witz, uh, Pyrocats, Tris Marigold, Silly Gnome 225. Uh, so much thank yous to everybody who is checking us out here. Um, if you're listening to us live on the, or listening to us on the podcast, come check us out live sometime. You get a, a pretty fun pre and post show, uh, things that you don't get on the podcast. And, uh, it, I think it's just a really good time. So thank you so much for, uh, for all your support. And, uh, yeah, if you want to follow me, you can catch me on Twitter at PHXDN underscore K-L-A-U-S-S. And uh, that's basically me. So, for my co-hosts, Sarah Timono, for Talas Marvelous, I am Klaus Nightbringer, wishing everybody a wonderful evening. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will catch you on the next one. Take care. Phoenix Down Radio is a production of PhoenixDownRadio.com and Illusion Productions. Final Fantasy XIV and Eorzea are trademarks of Square Enix. In-game content for Phoenix Down Radio is a copyright of Square Enix. Open to music for Phoenix Down Radio is provided by Guilty Gear Rocky. Check out the Metal Choke War theme cover and many other music videos at youtube.com slash Guilty Gear Rocky. Closing music for this episode is provided by Guitar Wanker 90. Please check out their full version of Matoya's Cave and other rock video game covers at youtube.com slash Guitar Wanker 90. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are those of Phoenix Down Radio and its hosts and do not reflect the views of Square Enix.